Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 87 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Joining me today is my regular co-host, Steve Cook. Steve, how are you today, sir? Oh, I am fine and dandy, good sir. That is great to hear, Steve. Uh, you know, this week was one of those weeks where I was really hating that you have the shoot job. Because there was a whole bunch of shit going on this week, and I really would have loved to have recorded Thursday night because of when everything was happening, but it's okay. We're here today on a lovely Saturday evening. And we have a ton of stuff to talk about. Ton. Tons and tons and tons. I, it feels like the internet's breaking. It feels like everybody's losing their gosh darn minds, man. Like, I don't know what is going on around here, but people on on the Wall Street, man, they're just they're going crazy. They're going ape. They're going banana, as Pat Patterson would say, over, this, over all these developments within the uh, WWE infrastructure, the corporate world, if you will. Yeah, so we're going to talk a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about the recent uh, WWE corporate management woes and the changes. A big deal happening in Japan, which could uh, likely be a roadblock for NXT Japan here as it tries to start up. Uh, we're gonna talk some uh, some quicker news roundups on like Beyond Wrestling, Luke Harper in New Japan. And then, as we had planned for today, we're going to talk about the TNA There's No Place Like Home event. A little bit of our background reviewing uh, TNA throughout the years and uh, our wish list for that show. So it's uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, Stephen. Lots of stuff. Some uh, TNA. Remember remember TNA? That's a good thing from back in the day. Both of us, of course, got our start here on 411 uh, writing about that very promotion. That's right. And that is so long ago that some of you listening to this might not even be, you might not have been born, for God's sakes. I mean, it's highly possible because, you know, it was a long time ago and I'm old, so. Yeah, yeah you ain't kidding. There you go. Thanks, thanks. I thought you were going to tell me I wasn't, but that's good. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> you know I'm not that stooge, man. I'm not that, I'm not that guy. I tell it like it is, if you will, or tell it as I see it. Fair enough. Uh, so we're going to start off with what is the obvious, the, the biggest news, the WWE management woes. And, and this stuff came out of nowhere this week. And before we kind of dig into this conversation, because there are obviously going to be some negative slants to it, because this is a big deal. Please let me say that WWE is still going to be wildly successful in terms of profitability. They're not going anywhere. But this is big news, and I think there is some cause for concern because of the way it happened and the way it's affecting business and just everything around it. So we'll get into it here. And what happened this week is big changes as the WWE co-presidents George Berrios with the company since 2008 and Michelle Wilson in WWE since 2009 
We're leaving the company completely, it was announced. WWE announced on Thursday that Wilson Abarios, who had served as the co-president since February of 2018 and reported developing and launching the WWE Network, will depart the company effective immediately, including their roles on the board of directors. So they're totally out. This is, this is a big deal. They were the highest ranking executives in WWE uh, just under Vince McMahon. Uh, they were responsible for a ton of the restructuring and brand shifting efforts in the last 10 years. Uh, it appears that Barrys and Wilson's exit as co-presidents could be the result of a disappointing fourth quarter in terms of the f- overall financial results. And apparently there is uh, the other thing going around now is that uh, there were differences in visions between them and Vince. And as we all know, when it comes to this, Vince is going to win because it's his company, obviously. But this is another thing to keep in mind is not only were they directing the division, uh, the vision of the company and got the network going, these were two of the main people along with the firm they brought in that locked in these billion-dollar TV deals we're looking at. So these aren't just a couple of office schmucks that were pushing some pens around. These were people that were doing work for this company. They had a big effect on the company. So for them to be ousted after over a decade in the company, after all that work, seemingly out of nowhere, because, you know, like I listen to Brandon Thurston a lot, who does excellent work covering this sort of thing. There was no reported internal strife within the company, and this was not expected at all. It's interesting timing, Larry, on this whole situation because when you think about what's coming up here pretty soon for, uh, especially for Vince McMahon, pretty soon we're gonna be starting up a gosh darn football league. XFL here is gonna be here. It's gonna be here quicker than we think. I mean, you know, you got Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, and uh, XFL starts what the week after that? Am I right week on that? Week after, yep. Week after that, and it's kind of flown under the radar. You might recall the first XFL was endlessly hyped, endlessly promoted and whatnot, and it's been kind of a more of a low-key thing this time around for many different reasons. But to me, that's with Vince you know, being all over that, it's really interesting timing for him to dump these two that were a key part of the whole WWE company. And, yeah... It's kind of putting, it might be putting more on his plate or maybe somebody that he has in mind to replace him. But uh, that tells me that, yeah, this is kind of just a sudden thing because I don't think ideally Vince would have wanted to do this at this particular time unless he thought there was a really good reason to do so. Yeah, unless they have like a rabbit in the hat that he's about to pull out, like they were headhunting somebody to take over this position or they were grooming somebody to take this over. It does seem really odd. This this also happened a week before the Q4 and year-end financials were coming out, which, again, I, I kind of t- talked about that in the opening there. Uh, really interesting timing with that as well. And as Steve mentioned, the XFL thing, because everybody assumed that when the XFL started up, Vince is going to be way less hands-off in all aspects of the business. And honestly, like if I'm an investor and and I am because I do own WWE stock, this whole move from the outside looking in comes off as a very reckless business move. And if I'm like like a legit serious investor with thousands of shares in this company, 
you know, this comes out of nowhere. There's no transitional plan really in place or announced. Vince is about to fuck off to the XFL. That has already brought bad attention to the company. There's a lawsuit against them from, like, a firefighter's union that had invested in WWE. And there's, like, a a big belief that the whole Alpha Entertainment thing is nothing more than a shell company under WWE to run XFL, and they're filtering the money. I just assumed it was, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, that's, like, there's a lot of people not happy with this. So, the big thing that happened here, and... Some people, the junior analysts, are trying to downplay this. In the hours following the announcement, WWE stock dropped to its lowest point in 18 months with trading closed to $47.40 a share, down from around $60. That was Thursday evening in the off-trading hours. At the close of business on Friday, the stock had climbed a meteoric dollar and 48 cents to 48.88 to close the business on friday it was a bad market day on friday too there was yeah. uh there was some unease in the market on friday over the uh, coronavirus and various other things going on in the world yeah and that is fair but the fact is i mean you know you drop around i think it was 20 percent overall is what it dropped after that news yeah, and that's a lot of reactionary news, but this is what happens with this stuff. If you pay attention every year to the in the quarters when they do the quarterly financials, the the stock market is very reactional. There is times where they will have a conference call and the stock will start popping up. Wall Street's happy with what they heard, and then there's a time to where they start taking a dive because Wall Street is like, "You fuckers have no idea what you're doing." They don't like the outlook and all that shit. So, yeah, but for it to drop that much, that's a pretty heavy reaction from Wall Street. And another interesting part about this, I think, as you mentioned, that uh, these two were the they were the highest up in the company without the name McMahon. I mean, you know, Vince was up at the top, obviously, and these guys were right there. And, of course, you know, you got Stephanie and Triple H, I assume, on a close to a similar level. I don't know exactly how the whole tree works and whatnot, but uh, yeah, it just it, it doesn't seem like a great sign to me. Uh, maybe it may, maybe they're just going to give more for Stephanie and Triple H to do, or maybe they're going to give Shane something to do. I don't know. Maybe, just, that's, maybe he's just going to close ranks at this point. Maybe he just uh, trusts these other people that much more and wants to keep in the family. And maybe the outsiders were making some... Uh, Making some noise about me doing a little something that he didn't like. And as you said, when it comes to Vince's vision versus anybody else's vision, it's going to be Vince. And the thing is, is like I wouldn't be surprised if Steph, Triple H, and Shane got more responsibility. But the thing is that, no offense to the three of them, they're not really equipped to take over in these roles. You know, like Triple H is a wrestler. He doesn't have a ton of business training and a formal business education. You know, Stephanie has been in the business all of her life, but I'm pretty sure she's not going to take over as president and do all this stuff. I mean, granted, I will give her credit. She was also very forefront in helping to get these TV deals. And she is in many ways turned into the face of the company comparatively to Vince, who stepped back a lot. 
And like Shane has done, did some outside business, but Shane's outside business also wasn't exactly a success. So I don't, I don't see the company going. Well, let's Shane and Stephanie can be the co-presidents. I just publicly traded company and with very limited outside business experience, I highly doubt that happens. I'd be absolutely fucking shocked, actually. I'm not saying it'd be the smartest business decision, or it, I don't think it'd be something that Wall Street would particularly love, but. I can see Vince McMahon making that decision pretty easily. I mean, I think we're going to find out some more because, again, the the Q4 financials are coming out uh, later this week. Uh, I'll be covering all that stuff. That's going to be a fascinating day. The saddest thing about the the change here in management is that um, it's the end of an era, Steve. It's the end of a game we like to call Barrios Bingo. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Berrios on his conference calls here, he had a very select set of verbiage he liked to use. And Brandon Thurston and a bunch of the geeks that like to cover this stuff, and I mean that in the most lovely way possible because I cover wrestling for a living, so I'm a big giant geek. Um, They made a bingo card, and it's called Berrios Bingo. And it has various things on there like adjusted EBITDA, churn, Rather not elaborate on that, get into the future. You know, just all these phrases he talks about. Uh, Scooby-Doo and the Flintstones appear on the card because those were big talking points when they were doing those animated movies. Oh, yeah. And he would say it all the time. Uh, Growth of India. Moving to China. Things like this. Just various things. It was just, as you'd listen to these calls, you couldn't help but chuckle to yourself because you knew all the shit on the card. And it's just, I used to laugh. Hopefully, whoever the fuck takes over and starts doing these calls, hopefully they will drop the phrase I hated the most, which was, we'd rather not get into that right now. It's like, Jesus Christ, you need to get into something. It's an investor's call, you fuckwit. Oh, I think that one will stick around. I I have a feeling it probably will. Uh, That one's not going anywhere. Unfortunately. So, again, a lot of people are probably wondering why this happened, and... I think, obviously, one of the bigger things is going to be the fact that there was a clash with Vince McMahon, either over vision or ideology or whatever it was. But you're going to lose out on that with Vince because it's his company. The other stuff I think you need to take into consideration is while they scored those big uh, US TV deals, my speculation is that like they got a, they have a new UK deal and nobody's quite sure... Because they don't know the money and they don't quite know the logistics of if it's a step up, a step down, or a lateral move. And we won't really be sold on that until we get the money off that. Um, So there's a lot of speculation that the UK, India, and Middle East TV deals uh, are either coming in way lower than they expected and predicted. Or that that Middle East TV deal isn't fully done yet, which they've been hammering home about the Mina TV deal and all the Saudi shit. And, They've been pussyfooting around that, yeah. Yeah, and then, like, if they haven't locked that in or if it's, again, like, not a good money deal comparatively to what they were predicting, that could be a big reason. Uh, the second thing I'm taking into consideration is I think that, you know, they talked about that there would be a 10% drop in network subscribers this quarter. They said that last quarter. But I'm thinking that if Wilson and Barrios got ousted, I'm really curious to see if the overall network numbers dropped further than that. 
to the fact that maybe they're at a million or under at this point. Because if they dropped from, say, 1.4, 1.5 million down to closer to a million, and they're the ones that brainchild and led this network, and they're losing subscribers, and they lose that much in Q4, that's a that's a pretty damning... Uh, you know, thing to happen. So, and again, I'm not sure. Maybe it's not that big of a drop, but I think that these are things to consider of why it might have happened. I wouldn't be surprised that there is a big drop uh, on the uh, on the uh, network subscribers. As I almost misspoke there, I mentioned NXT. I mean, they took NXT off the WWE network uh, the first airing off, and now it's on USA. I think that was a big reason you had a lot of people subscribing to the network in the first place along with the uh, pay-per-view events and whatnot. But I know certainly around the people that I talk to, the Yodders, OffTeam.com, those folks, NXT was like the one thing that they're watching on the network for, for a lot of them. A lot of these people that subscribe to the network are not geeks like me that will sit there and watch old episodes of primetime wrestling all day. No, they'll watch their NXT or, you know, they'll watch WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, whatever, and they'll they'll be gone with it, be done with it. But if NXT if they can catch NXT on USA, then that's uh, that's a big reason for them to spend the nine 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 per month uh, that's gone. Yeah, I hear a lot of people when they talk about why they have the network. I I, I hear a group of people that talk about that they only have it because they love the old content. They can watch all the old pay-per-views, all the old Raws or whatever. They can watch like, prime time like you watch. And then like I hear that uh, you know, I, there's a group of people I talk to that I, I pay the $9.99 because I, I get all the current pay-per-views. And I don't want to you know, buy pay-per-view anymore. Which is obviously viable because why spend 50 bucks a month when you can spend 10 if that's the If that's the only pay-per-view you buy. So yeah, so I get that. And then I, there was a lot of people that I would talk to that say like, I don't really like the the quote unquote main roster stuff, but I love NXT. I watch NXT all the time. I watch the takeovers, and I'll watch the pay per views because they're included from the main roster. But like, I don't watch Raw and SmackDown. So yeah, NXT I think for a lot of people was a serious draw. So, and the other thing I was thinking about too is I have a couple here, but um, I think that um, yeah, there the Q four guy the the. The, the, a low Q4 is they're predicting, and the guidance for 2020 taking a hit to be lower than originally predicted, despite the huge TV deals and Saudi money, also probably not a good thing. That tells me that, that, that uh, they're probably getting less Saudi money than they expected. I mean, it's possible. But again, that also may be because they're... Um, the international deals. And here's something else I want to bring up in terms of deals. And this may play into that money money as well. And this comes from Brandon Thurston, who again, WrestleNomics, follow him on Twitter. He has a, like kind of like a Patreon gimmick. Nobody goes more in depth with this stuff than he does. And Brandon's a good guy. He has his shit all together. But according to Brandon, and again, we won't know until the financials come out later this week. There has been a lot of renewed speculation that the NXT on USA deal is worth way less than anybody thought. And that deal was originally rumored to be 30 to $50 million a year. So that deal is rumored to be much lower. Now, let me ask you this, Steve. 
Let's just say that that NXT deal, let's say it's much lower. Uh, let's give it a number. Let's give it $10 million, okay? Just okay. for something to work with. Yeah. If that is true, and it's not 30 to 50 like originally planned, to me, this feels like a gigantic failure. And let me tell you why. If it's way less than they thought, and if network numbers are down a lot, it's a double failure. But it's also a failure because NXT to USA, and I don't give a shit what anybody says, was designed to crush AEW. They were designed to take away a potential big audience and to make sure they could not thrive and gain a new TV deal. And the good news is, is NXT's beaten them every week and AEW lost their TV. No. Wait, 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 whoa, whoa. No, wait. um, (laughs) AEW's won the ratings almost every week and they got a new TV deal. Mm. Huh. That that didn't seem to work out that well. Um, So, I mean, the thing is, I don't care what people say, but that, that fucking move was designed to crush AEW. But the thing is, If the TV rights deal is way less, and if they lost a ton of network viewers, which may be able to, you you might be able to attribute to NXT, then I think that that is a a huge negative right there. It was a move made, I mean, I assume there are people out there arguing that they didn't move NXT to USA just to spite, just to try to take a shot at AEW. I'm sure there are, are there people that are still actually saying that? Yes. Well, I, I wouldn't put a lot of stock into what those folks are saying, just to be honest with you. There are also people saying that NXT UK is perfectly fine and that it did no damage to the Brit wrestling scene as well. So, Wow, I, I want some of whatever they're drinking. Me too. All right? I, I want a little bit of that because it sounds like sounds like a good piece of business. But, uh, yeah, if it just doesn't make a lot of sense in the, to, uh, you know, to take the NXT, take the big network draw, off the network and throw it on USA to try to take a shot at AEW. And, uh, well, it didn't, didn't quite work out. They won one time, right? I uh, won once, and that's because they put a bunch of main roster guys on the show, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, good job on that. Well done. So, I think other things that you're going to need to look at coming up here in this Q4 is that for the last couple quarters, merchandise overall, online merchandise, live event business um, have all been down as well as general ticket sales. And like the live event stuff, like they've all but eliminated like live events here in February, which is traditionally the biggest non-mania sales time of the year for stuff like that. It's I think WrestleMania season for God's yeah, sakes. So they're running like two or three super shows and that's it. Um, so a lot of those metrics have been down and I've been talking about the live event business being down because not only is live event business down, but like last year for the first time since I believe the, it was the early nineties, they lost money on live events mm. and everybody, Oh, it's not a big deal. Just like, you know, raw hovering around the same rating and still not improving and technically being Losing audience faster than other networks and cable as a whole isn't a big deal, I get told. You know, but they got a billion-dollar TV deal. 
Yes, based off a of reputation and the fact that USA was desperate to keep USA wanted to keep them so bad because they want to be the number one network. And yep. those 2.4 million viewers or whatever you get a week is a bigger average than almost anybody else can get, and they get it 52 weeks a year. It's not bad. It's not based on the quality of this product. And honestly, yeah. I think one of WWE's biggest problems overall as a business is they are so geared to produce as much content as possible for the highest rights fees as possible that that's all they do. You see all these other metrics drop. You see interest drop. I mean, WWE interest overall just feels like at an all-time low. Yes, they're making money. Yes, they're successful. But when you compare it to other points in time, it you don't hear people talk about it. You know what I mean? It's just, it doesn't feel that important. They're, they're solidified with these TV deals. The company's going to be fine. But it's just, I don't know, man. And I just think that, like, they're so concerned with, they're so determined to make all this content. It doesn't feel like they're determined to make stars. No, no, that is definitely something that they do not seem to have a lot of interest in. The old, the old idea of making stars. And, uh, it's not something they've done consistently for a very long time. I noticed last night on SmackDown that a, a fellow by the name of Braun Strowman won the Intercontinental Championship. Now, I remember back a couple of years ago when Braun Strowman was getting main event pay-per-view matches and people really getting behind the guy as possibly the next big star. And, uh, wow, that, that really did not happen at all whatsoever. They missed the window with him in more ways than one because... They missed the window when he was over and a hot commodity. And then they they also missed it because, as I pointed out numerous times in columns, Steve, and this isn't a pat my own back thing, but Braun isn't a young man. Braun was getting older. Braun was a former, you know, strongman lifter and all that. He had a lot of mileage on that body. Those and, types don't age well. And I was very concerned with him starting to break down, and he's had some injury issues over the last year where he's missed time. Uh, reportedly, he has back problems. He has knee problems. He had that elbow injury. So, yeah, they missed the windows with him more ways than one. Now, I'm not going to totally bury the company because, obviously, like they're doing stuff with Drew, finally. Um, mm-hmm. Rhea Ripley came out of Survivor Series weekend to star. So, I mean, there are times when they're making stars, but it's just like, I don't know. I think you can make better efforts to do it and to do it consistently. And, you know, and like maybe I'm just spitballing here, Steve, and this is both financially and in terms of pushing your roster. Maybe, just maybe, signing a bunch of useless fucking geeks that nobody else in the business wants for a half a million fucking dollars a year is maybe a bit of a bad financial plan. You know what? When one of the big things I said when AEW came out and became a thing was one of the good things about AEW is it's going to get a lot of guys paid. And it sure is. Because WWE does not want anybody to go there. They saw what happened when John Moxley went there. And now they're afraid that anybody on, their, on that roster that goes there might do the same thing. When let's be honest, most of them aren't going to. No. Mike Kanellis isn't going to go to AEW and become a big star. Well, Sorry, I mean, uh, a nice, nice well, guy. Here, it's not going to here. happen. Here's the thing, Steve. We have the perfect comparison in AEW. You have John Moxley, who is amazing, 
And then you have Sean Spears, who is pretty much what everybody thought he'd be anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's like, not everybody can be John Moxley, but I mean, I understand why they're afraid of letting people go. You don't want to give anybody ammunition. You don't want to give ROH or Impact or AEW anybody that could maybe improve their business. But there are guys you can give them, like a Sean Spears. Yeah. You don't have to pay him, you know, $2.5 million or whatever. You, you can let that guy go. And uh, Spears is a fine talent, don't get me wrong, but he's not making any kind of difference in AEW business. No. I like Sean Spears. I, th- I, I think he gets shit on a lot unfairly. I think he's a good worker. He is a great guy to have around to work with a lot of the younger guys. He has a ton of experience. And good Christ, yeah, and all, yeah, he is. He is a good hand. And the yep. thing is, is like you look back on history, it's like, he, and the history with him and Cody, he was one of the guys that really helped Cody in OVW and helped him like get acclimated to the WWE style and all that. So it's like, there's a lot of good he can do. And it's like, sometimes a guy hits their ceiling and maybe that's what Sean Spears is. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Excuse me. But like the thing I think with, he wanted out of WWE isn't because I don't think he thought he was going to go to AEW and be a main event guy. I just think that he was sick of sitting and fucking catering and not doing anything because exactly. he's getting older. And kind of like the Rhino thing with Impact. Like, don't get me wrong, Rhino's really no fucking good. And I'm <laughs> so sick of Don Cow. I was like, Jesus, look at the man beast. He looks just as fresh as he did in 97. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you fucking smoking, Don Callis? This motherfucker, this motherfucker telling me that RVD and Rhino look as good as ever. Fuck off with that. But I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that Sean Spears just wanted to go and work. And again, I think he's a guy that can do a lot of a lot of good. He works a lot of guys like on AEW Dark and stuff. And there are rumors that they're going to start like a school at some point, and that Dustin will be the main trainer. And the rumor is that Sean Spears would be one of the other trainers. And I think those are good guys to run sense. it. Yeah, that'd make perfect sense. So, but there's nothing wrong with eventually being what you're going to be. But yeah, not everybody is going to be a John Moxley, but the John Moxley thing scared them. The fact that Chris Jericho opted to say, fuck off, I'm going to do something else on my own, went to Japan, moved business, made a shit ton of money, helped AEW get a TV deal, that freaked them out. So now they got to keep everybody. Yeah, you're paying Mojo, Raleigh, and Jinder Mahal, and the Canellas is $500,000 a year. Well, gender's big in India, guy. Fuck off with that Indian <laughs> bullshit. Uh, and we, we still have the, the... I see the revival drama is still going on. Oh, gee, still a thing. Y- you know what? These two guys need to either re-sign or just fuck off. I am so sick of this. I think they're just playing the game. It's like you either get out or you fucking stay. I am so sick of every other week. We want our release. We might stay. We're not treated well. We want our release. Oh, fuck off and grow up. I, I love think they those got that g- Randy Orton advice. That's what yeah. happened there. I love those guys. I think they're a great tag team. I think they're just playing the game. I don't think they're going anywhere. Especially if they're getting offered like seven hundred grand a year, dude. It's like... Yeah. yeah, who else can pay him that? Yeah, because it's like, yeah, AEW, I'm sure they'll be more artistically fulfilled and wrestle a lot of great matches. AEW isn't giving them 700 grand a year. Nope. So, They're not that crazy over there. 
So, and like back to the business stuff, like here's another thing. Maybe don't invest a bunch of money into a UK brand that no one realizes exists only to kill World of Sport, which is already dead and yeah. is taking the UK indie scene with it, uh, you know, contrary to Pete Dunn's fucking thoughts. And, um, you know, and d- then I guess at the end, to close this out, don't forget about the highly questionable and oddly timed sale of stock from all these WWE executives, which has been brought into question numerous times. Mm. So, mm. And, and that's another thing I'm wondering, maybe did, is there like, and again, I don't know. I'm just, I'm spitballing a lot of this stuff. I'm speculating. You have to guess because there's no, there's no reason why I'm wondering if they got fired. Is there a potential sec violation in there somewhere? Are they in, in a uh, threat of being investigated for some of these stock sales and that lawsuit that's out there. I don't know. Maybe Barrios and Wilson, they just feel like the total scapegoats here. And again, we're going to find out more when this whole uh, Q4 thing hits, man. It's a interesting situation, say at least uh, a lot more still to come. Stay tuned is what I would suggest. So, and that's what's going on there. And I know somebody's going to be like, take this out of context. Zonka says WWE's dying. No, I'm not. But this is not a great situation right now. They're financially solvent for the next five years because of these TV deals. Nobody's worried about that. The fact that I'm worried about is this is a horrible look for the company. And I'm worried that they don't have a transitional plan in place. Which can hurt them as far as the way the company's run. It can hurt them financially, and it's going to kill the stock. It's never good. So no, not good, not good, man. We're going to kind of stick with this. Is a combined WWE business Japan story, mm-hmm. um, and like the kind of title for this section of the podcast is, um, you know, NXT Japan Roadblocks slash DDT and Noah. Um, Steve, there is a, a big deal this week. Uh, Pro Wrestling Noah is now whole, a wholly owned subsidiary of Cyber Agent. Cyber Agent is a company, uh, depending on who you believe, on the level of or b- bigger than New Japan parent company Bushi Road. They own DDT Wrestling as well as Tokyo Joshi Pro. Now, we're going to get into why it's big for DDT here in a minute, but this is another roadblock in terms of NXT Japan trying to get off the ground. The The first roadblocks happened when Dragon Gate refused to sell to them to be their progress wrestling in Japan, basically. Mm. Um, Noah, um, under the previous leadership, failed to sell to them. They wanted no part of the WWE relationship. And also, um, Bushi Road buying Stardom was a big uh, fuck you to WWE because they were going to buy Stardom and try to use that as their base of operations. And the reason they're looking into not they're they're looking to go to Japan and not just start up a brand. They're looking to buy into something because the overall details of just starting a business in Japan when you're a Westerner is not easy. So they want to go in there with a business partner, essentially. I mean, basically, WWE would obviously be in control. But they basically want to have their progress wrestling, their OTT, their WXW there, to where they have some talent there. They have the business infrastructure to start. 
And that is kind of getting thwarted because it feels like all these little Japan companies are kind of just going together and they're like, fuck off. We want no part of this. So this is what it feels like this is Noah's 10th owner in the last five years. Yeah, there's been some changes over there. Yeah, in the there's, past. there's I mean, been a lot of changes. It's not your daddy's Noah anymore. Yeah, if you left off when Misawa died, a lot of things have changed. Yeah. So, but this is a this is a really big deal for Noah. Um, Takagi, who was uh, running DDT, is going to be the president of both Noah and DDT. Um, Marafuji is going to be Noah's vice president. The Noah uh, Kirk and Hall show already aired on DDT Universe, which is DDT streaming service that also airs uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro. And there are going to be more shows to come. This is vital for Noah because. They had no streaming outlet. They would put stuff up on YouTube. They would run the occasional live YouTube show. They were poorly advertised to the fact that I would wake up at like 6 in the morning and someone's like, you know, this Noah show has been really good so far. <laughs> it's like, the fuck? It's like a free wrestling show. I would have reviewed that fucker. When Larry doesn't know there's a wrestling show going on, that means it's poorly advertised. Yeah. So there's going to be more Noah airing on DDT Universe. So this is really big for Noah because they needed that streaming outlet because, you know, DDT, Dragon Gate, All Japan, New Japan, Stardom all have their own streaming stuff. So this is a necessity for them for their growth. Um, DDT and Noah, they've talked about they're going to share talent uh, and send talent to certain shows. They're not going to do a lot of crossover, though, because... Stylistically, the two companies are extremely different. Yeah, it would kind of be yeah. like, you know, like Chikara working with New Japan. You know, so basic stuff. Yeah, you know, so it wouldn't. But there are certain guys that are going to be able to cross over and have some fun matches. Uh, Noah's already been integrated into DDT Universe with a ton of logos and a landing page. Apparently, they helped crash DDT Universe with that first Kirkin show the other day because. I think people were just like, holy shit, I can watch Noah. Yeah. So, uh, Noah is going to air on uh, Abima TV, which is also owned by Cyber Agent. And uh, Takagi noted that all the in-ring will be left in Noah's hands. His role is going to be strictly on the business side of things. So, uh, basically, the DDT stuff, they're not going to fuck around with uh, the Noah uh, in-ring. They just want to help run and improve the business. And, like, the big news to close uh, this little part uh, before we get here from you, Steve, is DDT and Noah have announced that they're going to run back-to-back Sumo Hall shows in November, which is a big deal. Sumo Hall's big building, and it's, uh, it's big for them to run back-to-back days, and I think pretty cool, and I would expect some crossover matches to happen in uh, order to promote those shows. Yeah, and I know for just from looking at New Japan stuff and uh, knowing what's going on with the with the Olympics over in Japan this year is that uh, they're really kind of backloading 2020. A lot of these promotions aren't really going to try to compete with the Olympics because that probably wouldn't really work out well for them. So you notice with New Japan's counter, they had a lot of stuff backloaded, like stuff's happening later than it usually does. And, uh, you know, putting that stuff in November, this works out well for, for NOAA, for DDT, because while everybody's watching the Olympics or whatever... They can get their ducks in a row, and they can figure out what they're doing. And then once the, once the time comes for people really paying attention, they should have an idea of what the heck they're doing. So, 
good. I think that uh, I think that uh, Olympics is a pretty fortuitous thing for them when they're changing their changing their business and the way they do things. Yeah, definitely agree, and that seems like the the, the play everybody's making. But um, yeah, this is definitely a uh, it's another roadblock for the potential launch of NXT Japan. Um, because they've had, these are two places taken away from them again. Now there's rumors that, that have been around for a while that, and this is like the weirdest fucking place on paper, but the WWE has been looking to try to strike a deal with, of all places, big Japan wrestling, (laughs) which is like, if you don't know, there's a lot of death match going on in big Japan. That's so it's CZW. Yeah, it seems like the weirdest thing, but um, the uh, the early reports and uh, this was originally from Voices of Wrestling that broke this was WWE is targeting Daisuke Sakamoto and Miko Satomura is the trainers for the NXT uh, Japan Performance Center. Daisuke is fucking awesome. Miko Satomura is awesome, and um, they tried to sign Miko Satomura after the second May Young Classic. They wanted her to be the female Cassius Ono. They wanted her to be a player coach, work at the performance center, work on live events, work on TV to help train people and stuff. Uh, and she was like, no, nah, I want to go back and do all my stuff. And they were like, all right. And they left the door open for her. She did a guest coaching stint at the performance center after that. They love her. And apparently she's like the, the one of the two names with Sakamoto and that are going to be in charge of um, that uh, performance center if and when it ever launches. Well, that sound that sound it's gonna happen at some point, Larry. You know, you know, at some point, WWE's gonna get their claws sunk in Japan somehow. We they're running the roadblocks right now and whatnot, and that's all well and good. And I'm not surprised these Japanese promotions are trying to keep that from happening. But we know at some point, something's gonna happen over there. Yeah, and you know this this uh, kind of harkens back, Steve, to stuff we used to talk about on the old blog talk shows. Do you remember the original WWE Global Expansion Plan? How they basically wanted to open up a bunch of little territories around the world. Yeah, and yeah, I did. people thought this was a horrible idea. And you and I were in support of this because, first of all, we were in the know. We used to watch Ohio Valley, and you look at the track record of Ohio Valley. Yep. Um, they had Deep South Wrestling for a while, and there were times to where they would shift talents between Deep South and Ohio Valley, which was an extremely smart move because you were basically inventing your own little territory system. And you were teaching guys to work with different guys, to work in front of different crowds. And for the longest time, there was there were the reports that they were going to slowly expand. They were going to open up a Canadian place. And the rumor was Lance storm was going to run that, that they were going to open up Mexico. They would maybe try the UK. And then that all didn't happen. We had FCW after OVW and deep South were done. We eventually got NXT. And now it seems like this is coming to the forefront again, because obviously we have NXT proper. We have NXT UK they do shift some talent between those. And, you know, you look at the Rhea Ripley experiment, which was great for her because she got to work in the uh, UK as the territory's top star, for lack of a better word. Uh, And she was being groomed for the spot she has now. And so WWE trying to make its own little territory system. And you have the UK, you have the US. If they could get Japan, I wouldn't think that Mexico is far behind. 
After that, I would look at, I think India is definitely a place they want because they keep hiring people from there. Mm-hmm. Also wouldn't rule out Australia. A lot of talent down there. A lot of talent down there. So I, I see this. It's going to definitely try to keep expanding. And like you, I agree. I, I, I think that NXT Japan is an eventual if, you know, and, and a when. Um, but it's just, it's it's going to take a lot of work to get in there because you have to overcome the uh, the stigma of being from the West. You have to get into that business. You need a foothold. You need to find a company to kind of partner with and be your progress wrestling here at the beginning to get in. And... um. That leads us to the next thing, and this is from uh, Melter and the Observer, and this is a quote. Um, this is kind of regarding that. It says, How this affects the big Japanese pitcher scene is a tough call. New Japan is far more popular and really is in a different league than all the other companies in, in the Japan market right now. But Cyber Agent is larger than Bushi Road, and everybody knows that WWE is coming in with an NXT brand in Japan. There is a feeling that a WWE cyber agent affiliation could be a threat to New Japan's market domination and far more than either could separately with the idea that DDT doesn't have mass appeal while Noah doesn't have the star power and a combination of the two including WWE could possibly be much stronger but also alienate both companies' current fan bases since each fan base like the company's current styles and the melding of the styles could get a bad reaction from much of each group's current fan base. So, I think he's speculating there that, you know, because Noah just sold again to Cyber Agent, that WWE may try to get in with them. And, you know, again, like I said, they're they're looking for any in they can get. And it wouldn't surprise me. I think they're going to try. I mean, I would be shocked they didn't try. That would uh, be poor. Maybe poor business on their sense if they don't try to hook up with these guys. And you're right about the different fan bases and how they might take to it. I'm kind of wondering how you know the Noah fan base would take to DDT with some some of the stuff they have going on there. And same with DDT and Noah. It's uh, it's gonna be an interesting situation to see play out. It's just uh, we know it's maritime with WWE NXT Japan. It might be. It won't be tomorrow. It might be five, ten years from now. It it's, might be a long game kind of deal here. And let's face it, five, ten years down the road, who knows what kind of position New Japan is going to be in by that point? We don't, you know, you know how it's a. They always say it's a cyclical business, Larry. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe Gato loses his touch while there's while the judges try and get this all worked out. Yeah, and that, that's a fair point because it is hard to predict that future, man. It's like. Yeah, it's like New Japan has obviously been on the rise for a long time. Business has constantly gotten better. Um, they did uh, record ticket sales last year. And this was in a year where everybody was saying it was a down year. And that uh, they're doing too many repeat matches. And, you know, I, they're they're splitting up too many major shows into two shows. And they're not going to draw. And, well, they all drew more. Like, they had the best attended, best of Super Juniors ever. World Tag League was slightly down, but World Tag League fucking sucks. And I can't believe people actually go to it. <laughs> um, but it's just like, yeah, but overall for the year, they did record business stuff again. Despite all the armchair experts trying to tell me that New Japan was actually bad. Well, it definitely worked from the business side. That That's for sure. Yeah. Well, but, but no, again, you, like you we say, maybe a... five, ten years down the road, maybe uh, 
May Gator loses his touch. Maybe whoever ends up taking over for, over for Okada in the long run, maybe they don't pan out. You just never know how these things uh, yeah. are going to work out down the road. It's a fair point. Plus, you don't know you don't know the talent that they're going to lock up or pass on that might go somewhere else. Because there are guys like Kentamihara in All Japan who is amazing. You know, he's not in New Japan. You know, it's like there are going to be other guys that slip through the cracks or that don't pass the test for whatever reason with uh, New Japan that are going to go other places. And that's that's like what we talk about with guys not going to WWE. That's just that's good for other places. And uh, it is extremely hard to predict. Um, Steve Cook, if you had to guess, NXT J- Japan will not happen in 2020. No, not in 2020. Okay. Further down the road. We'll see what happens. But yeah, like I said, if they get NXT Japan rolling, I would not be surprised. Uh, Mexico, India, and Australia, other markets to hit. Just just kind of knowing Huntor's plan of uh, world domination there. He's going to take it all over, man, eventually. He's He's got a lot of years ahead to do it, too. This is true, Steve. Um, so that's going to lead to our our next portion of the show, kind of a uh, more quick hit style news roundup. We got a lot of other stuff I know, Steve, and I want to talk about. First up, Steve, there have been um, open lines of communication between New Japan Pro Wrestling and Viceland for a TV deal. It's a long process because a TV uh, Asai owns uh, the rights footage and uh, the NXT or a Ah, excuse me. The Access New Japan deal was originally between Access and TV Ashai. So we'll see what happens there. Obviously, the Access deal dead because of the whole Impact and Anthem bullshit. Um, Viceland Steve obviously has some wrestling content with the wrestlers and Dark Side of the Ring. New Japan seems like it would be a fine fit there because it's found a home for hardcore wrestling fans with those shows. Your thoughts? Yeah, that sound. Uh, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense to me, and I think we should also add uh, "fuck that out." There you go. Yeah, let's let's add that in there too. But uh, yeah, definitely the dark side of the ring—a pretty great series. The wrestler got some good reviews as well. Uh, Viceland's one of those one of those interesting channels. You, there's just a lot of different stuff on that channel, just kind of all up and down the board. So, pro wrestling would not be a strange fit on that channel. It really wouldn't be, and uh, I hope it works out because it would be. I think it would be really good for New Japan to have, obviously, more U, uh, more U.S. TV presence uh, than they have, and uh, I just think that's a good idea. So hopefully they can get some kind of deal. It's it's encouraging to hear that they're talking to people and that there's some um, some positive vibes in that way, you know. So we'll see what happens. And again, and we're going to talk about it more in a couple minutes, but it's a. Uh, it's kind of that trickle-down effect Steve and I have been talking about. You have the big WWE TV deals. Uh, MLW is searching around for big deals, um, trying to make more money. AEW got a big deal. Again, obviously not as big as the WWE deal. And maybe it's going to start trickling down to your NWA, your MLW, and your other places. And maybe New Japan will kind of benefit from that. Yeah. I've, there's no reason why they should be in a good spot to do so. I would say with the current product they're producing and uh, with the reviews that their previous television product got, I, I, I think they're in a better spot to get a deal than uh, most of these other guys would be. I think so. 
Uh, next up, Jonathan Huber, the former Luke Harper, is expected to sign in uh, with AEW and debut March 18th in Rochester, New York, which is his hometown. Mm. He is expected to go by his old ring name of the Big Rig Brody Lee, Steve. Big Rig. What do you I think? I assume the same ring attire. I would hope so. <laughs> like literally, probably the same ring attire. The oh, definitely the same <laughs> white beater and, and jeans. Absolutely. I doubt he's done anything with those since he uh, went off TV. So, uh, but what do you think? I mean, you know, obviously, uh, I know we both like Brody Lee. Good big man, good worker. Getting up there in age, but I mean, I think he's a he's a bigger guy that can work with a lot of different people. I think there's nothing wrong with taking a flyer on him for a one-year deal. I mean, you're not going to spend big money on him. You know he's going to work hard. He's going to have a chip on his shoulder. I have no problem with it. Yeah, he's not a guy that's going to be like a John Moxley and become like a tippy-top star or whatnot. But uh, one thing AEW's been missing, I think, since they started off was uh, bigger guys. Uh, let's face it, there's a lot of wrestling fans out there that like to see big guys kicking butt. AEW's, uh, they're kind of light on that so far, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, you got old Wardlow there who looks big next to MJF, but uh, <laughs> beyond that, I'm not quite sure what they have going for him in that department. Uh, Brody is a great addition uh, to that to that style, and uh, not sure what they're going to do with him creatively-wise. There's been some rumors, some speculation thrown out there. There's always a question of who's going to be the leader of the Dark Order, and I hope they kind of keep him away from that because I'm not sure he fits into that role. But uh, definitely fits into the role of a big, bad truck driver kicking ass and taking names. Yeah. I do like that AEW, like you talked about the big guy thing, they are looking at, you know, we talked about it last week, uh, looking at Lance Hoyt, look at, looking at uh, Brody Lee here. And those are a couple good guys to bring in. Yes, they're older, but they're good workers that can work with a large variety of your roster. So and They're big. Yes. We like big. Sure. Big uh, I like I like a good Hoss fight, dude. I saw a couple Shoot. great ones this morning on the New Japan show. So I just, yeah. Hossy dudes beating the shit out of each other is, uh, as Big E would say, big meaty men. That's right. Where's Mike Knox and his beard? I have no idea what's up with Mike Knox. They need, they need, they need that. That's what they need. They need a beard. He, he can so. only come in if he has the beard. Well, of course. I would not recommend Mike Knox without the beard. So... Uh, we're going to move on to Ring of Honor, Steve. Ring of Honor is bringing back the Pure Championship. Tournament to crown the first Pure Champion in nearly 14 years will begin with first-round matches in uh, Columbus on Friday, April 10th, and Pittsburgh Saturday, April 11th. The Pure title was originally created in 2004. In matches contested under Pure rules, closed fist punches were illegal, and each competitor was allowed three rope breaks to stop submission holds and pinfalls. During the match, and after that, pinfalls and submission holes on or under the ropes would be legal. First of all, Steve, what do you think about bringing the Pure Championship back? Well, I got to tell you, as somebody who watched a lot of the original uh, the original time period, the, the Pure Championship, you have to have guys who know how to work that style. Very you have much to have so. guys who know the rules, who know what they're doing, know how to work the work, how to work the rope breaks, know how to work the uh, lack of punches and whatnot. Know how just now to work it. I mean, Nigel McGinnis was the best pure champion because he was just a classic asshole that knew how to uh, play by the rules and stretch the rules at the right time. He, and he, he was really he, great. He, he was he was the best at manipulating that rule set. 
not even close, and it wasn't even close really. Nigel was miles ahead of everybody else who tried to do it. Um, so, and for a lot of the, for a lot of the time period, they're just there were guys that were fun. Like you know, you had like your John Walters, and you had people like that who were okay. What well, was John Walters the dude that lost to uh, Chris Masters on TV while he was the champion? I believe so. Yeah. So Chris, Chris, a lot of good stuff. Chris Masters was the uh, linear pure champion for a long time. Yes, he was a uh, good, good man, Chris Masters. Uh, another guy that AEW should look into signing for for big beefy guys. But uh, yeah, um, like I said, I, the, it it peaked when Nigel held the title. I don't I don't think anybody else was in his class when they when they were the champions. So if you're gonna make it work, you're gonna have to have somebody in Nigel's class who just knows knows the rules, knows how to work the gimmick. And uh, if you have that guy, great. If you don't, you're introducing a title with some strange rules that most of your fans aren't going to understand. Well, I'll tell you what. They have that guy. They have Jonathan Gresham. <clears throat> he, he, he works that style perfectly. He and uh, Silas Young worked a pure rules match last year at a pay-per-view. Uh, Gresham is amazing. He is a great heel right now. He's definitely a guy you could strap that belt on and do a lot with. Hopefully, with the New Japan relationship being uh, tidy again, it would be awesome if you could bring in, like, Zack Sabre Jr. for stuff. Mm. Um, just him and Gresham having a series of matches, I think, would fucking rule. They had one match last year. It was fucking great. I've wanted more ever since. Um, so, I just... Um, I like it. And, like, this is another move by Head Booker Marty Scurll, man. And you know what I love, Steve? I What's love that? that Marty got the book, and he, he, he looked at the company and he said, Hey guys, let's fix all the mistakes we made last year, and here's my big booking plan. Let's stop being bad. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to fix the NWA relationship. I'm going to fix the New Japan yeah. relationship. I'm going to job the, the, the trio's titles out to the cool Mexican dudes. Yep. You know, I'm like, we're going to sign Slex. We're going to sign Chris Brooks. We're going to sign cool fucking people. And it's just like, we're going to bring back the fucking pure title while we're at it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if Gresham's that guy who can work that gimmick, uh, like I said, if if you have people who can work the gimmick, it's a great idea. And if you don't have people who can do it, then it's a waste of a waste of spot on a card. But, uh, you know, Gresham's a top-notch pro wrestler, so I've... I think it's a nice idea. I think that I will say that Ring of Honor's been doing a lot of things right. It looks like since uh, since the Lizard Man kind of took a step back a little bit and let the Umbrella Man uh, do some things. Yeah, definitely. So it's like I just find it really interesting. But yeah, I like Marty's booking strategy. Let's stop sucking. Yeah, don't do the things we're bad at. Let's try to do the things we might actually be good at. <laughs> and I greatly appreciate that. You know so. It's, 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 a, it's a good basic booking strategy. Let's not be bad. We don't have to trot Bully Ray out there every show if people are, aren't, aren't cool with it. And, and I, love that, like, I love that it took this long for people to put two and two together, but like Bully Ray came out and was like, I wouldn't have made Marty a booker and given him any power. <laughs> and then like a week later, it came out that Bully Ray lost all of his managerial power in the company that he had had. Yeah. Oh, geez. I wonder, why, I wonder why he was saying that about Marty. <laughs> uh, couldn't happen to a nicer guy oh, that's some of the dog worst shit in that company all year uh, and to close out the quick news and notes around that Steve we talked about the trickle down effect earlier on 
And, uh, you know, WWE getting those gigantic TV deals, AEW getting a good deal, NXT getting the TV. Beyond Wrestling has announced that they are going to be adding a championship in more ways than one when they tape a network pilot on March 1st in Melrose, Massachusetts. The independent uh, company has announced that the pilot will be branded Beyond Championship Wrestling to reflect the uh, crowning of their first ever champion, which will take place at the event. And uh, yeah, it looks like Beyond Wrestling, who received rave reviews from their Uncharted Territory series on the uh, independent uh, wrestling TV gimmick, I, I caught a lot of it when I had time, but it was on it was on Thursdays, and I tried to give myself Thursday nights off. But I would uh, check out. They had some really great matches. A lot of good talent they used. Uh, really interesting that there seems to be some kind of interest for them to get a TV show of some sorts. And this kind of goes back to that whole the, the, the trickle-down thing to where maybe it's becoming kind of cool again for wrestling to get a TV deal. And we'll see what happens. But what are you thinking of Beyond Wrestling possibly going to TV, man? It's it's worth a shot. I I just remember back when the only thing I knew about Beyond Wrestling was that uh, Jake Chambers uh, wrote columns about it and did reviews and whatnot. Yeah, remember that years upon years upon years ago, and they I believe they took place in empty empty gyms like their custom matches or something pretty much. But uh, I just remember that, and for the longest time I thought Jake Chambers was not an actual person either. I thought for sure that was a gimmick. <laughs> Yeah, as far as I can tell, he's a real person. We 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 haven't confirmed this. I'm. <laughs> no, but, I don't know if you've met the man or not, but uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I remember Beyond all the way back from that, and uh, they've had some they've had some ups and downs. They've had some stuff. Uh, they've done. They've started running actual shows now with actual crowds and whatnot, and uh, I see I see no reason why they can't go out there and why not try, why not try, why not produce a nice little pilot episode and. See if somebody picks it up. I like you said the the market appears to be out there now where AW can get on TNT and uh, you know Impact bought their own channel and uh, you know you got these other companies doing things. You know WWE keeps getting stuff, so why not film a pilot and see what you can get? Yeah, and I like Beyond. They do a lot of really good stuff. They've grown a lot over the past few years. And here's the thing. I mean. You know, you, you got it. We always talk about it. It's, it's not show friends, it's show business. You got to try to make money at some point. And hey, if somebody comes to you and says, We're going to pay you to film a pilot, and it may lead to a deal where we pay you to produce wrestling, why not try? Now let's not go. Let's just not go out there and promise everybody the role. You might recall back in two thousands when you had all these wannabe wrestling printers come out and promise they were going to be the next big thing, and they would produce one show and they'd be gone. We well, had a cascade of those back. Well, in the thing is, too. Not only this, it seemed like every year, like like you just mentioned, we had the next greatest promotion coming out. We're going to use legends and honor them. We're going to sign the best upcoming talent. We're going to provide medical insurance. We're going to run only certain times a year and give guys time off and have an off season. Like every fucking talking point that everybody allegedly wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, sometimes they wouldn't even produce a show. No, (laughs) they'd be like, they have one arena show possibly. And then they'd be gone. Like there were rumors that, um, like the 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 dude that owned the Mets was gonna start up a company out of Florida, and 
Yeah, like there there was just all kind of Remember shit. Remember the NWA years. Ohio guy? Remember the Ohio guy? Was yeah. it Dave Nelson? Oh my god, that guy. Uh, the main event championship wrestling guy. Uh our our good buddy, uh what was it? The wrestling retribution project guy. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. That don't, guy. Don't remind He's me. I, he was. I I still feel bad about that cuz I fucking interviewed him. Oh man. Yeah, I'm, he, he was saying all the right things. That's for sure. He was saying all the right things. It's gonna be the, it's gonna be the wrestling for the fans. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's it's amazing. But yeah, you're right. I mean, hopefully Beyond just goes in there and they're largely just gonna be Beyond Wrestling with some tweaks. Like I know, like what's weird to a lot of people is they are gonna have like some form of authority figure because they don't now. Um, just like so, someone to make sense of the bulking on screen. Basically, they said they're not gonna overuse it. Uh, they're going to have like guardrails and shit now because a lot of the shows, they just have seats and no guardrails. So they're going to do that. And that's more of an aesthetic look. And I get that plus a safety thing when you're going to be taping. Um, so yeah, they're going to make some changes and everything. But like you said, don't promise the world, just go out there and put, put together a good wrestling product. It's like the NWA thing. It's like Billy Corgan and Dave Lagana. They didn't oversell it. They said, we're going to work our ass off and try to give you a great product. And they've given us a good product. They never said it was going to be like the world's greatest thing. They said they're going to give us their best. They had a lot of good ideas. And they've done a lot of good stuff. But yeah, you can't go in there promising the world to everybody and stuff like that. But I mean, I have no problem with them trying because it might work, it might not. But hey, if it doesn't work and they paid you to do it, you lose nothing. Maybe you get attention from somebody else. But if it works and you actually get a deal, you make some money, and this is another thing we always talk about, it's another place for guys to make money. Making money's good. Yeah. So I have, I have no problem. I, I think it's I think it's cool. I, I, I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know if it'll be good. But I mean I just I think it's nothing wrong with trying. I like a lot of what they've done. I'll definitely give it a shot if it's on. And we'll see what happens. But yeah, Beyond Wrestling could be coming to TV proper uh, this, you know, maybe this year. So we will see what happens, Steve. Good luck to him. Good luck. That's right. So I wish everybody good luck. Indeed. So I guess uh, we're to get back to what we were originally going to talk about on this show this weekend. Uh, you know, Steve and I, back in the day, uh, we were. We, we kind of got our start here on 411 and other places uh, reviewing uh, TNA Wrestling. Yeah. TNA that Wrestling. Was, that was the TNA big TNA Pay-Per-Views. TNA Impact, yes. That's right. The weekly pay-per-views, the Fox Sports era. Oh, and, yeah. Um, 3 o'clock to 3 p.m. on a Friday. That's right. What a time slot that was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I've talked about it before, but, yeah, it's like a – People want to dog, oh, I don't, we don't do Impact Justice enough. We don't do this and do that. But listen, you know, there was a time that nobody gave a fuck about TNA. And oh, Steve yeah. and I were the only fuckers talking about it. We were the only guys doing reviews and writing columns about it. We used to do our own TNA Year Under Awards column. And it's just, listen, we have a lot of history with this company. And I've said before, it's like, I credit TNA, honestly, for helping saving my fandom at one point, because when WCW and ECW, 
uh, burnt out and died. I was not thrilled with just the WWE product. No, we needed something. We needed something, uh, <laughs> something to keep us interested. And uh, in 2002, you had TNA come along at that in a particular time period. And you know, you had uh, Ring of Honor too come along. They were doing the, the they were doing the DVD sales thing. But you had TNA that was on. They're on pay per view. They did weekly pay per views, and uh, they did. They did a lot of weird stuff. Let's be honest. There was a lot of stuff going on on their shows. Some of it was great. Uh, some of it was not so great. But it just g- it gave you something else to watch besides besides Raw and SmackDown. Which to me, I know a lot of people out there they're they're fine just watching Raw and just watching SmackDown or whatever. But uh, that was never me. I was always somebody who liked watching WDF, who liked watching WCW, who liked watching ECW, and whatever other kind of wrestling I could find if it's on public access, great. If uh, there was wrestling on the television uh, back in the late 90s, I was going to watch it. So, to me, as uh, TNA did come along at, at a good time where it, if it was just going to be what WWE was producing, it was going to be pretty rough to be a wrestling fan. And I'm not saying it was perfect. And like like I said, I mean TNA did a lot of a lot of weird stuff, and we'll be talking about some of that weird stuff, I think, too, uh, up here in a little bit. But uh, it helped me keep my fandom alive, and uh, it indirectly slash directly led into uh, what I'm doing now, pretty much, because without uh, the chance to recap a show that nobody else was watching besides me and Larry, I'm probably not. I'm probably not here. Let's be honest. Yeah, and the thing is, with like with early TNA, man, like it, it opened the floodgate for me because uh, you know I found AJ Styles. Like I had seen Christopher Daniels before uh, through tape trading, and um, you know Jerry Lynn was there, and I I contend to this day that Jerry Lynn does not get enough credit for his early work in that promotion and how he helped set up the X Division and helped groom AJ Styles and a lot of those guys into the performers they became. But um, I it, it opened up to me a lot of talent that I liked. Like, I, I found out about AJ Styles, really. I mean, yeah, I, you. oh, yes, I saw him in WCW, but he didn't do shit in WCW. No, he really didn't. You could, I mean, you he could was, have blanked and missed him in their Yeah, parents. he was yeah. barely there. The company was sold, and then that was it. But um, like, I found AJ Styles. I found Low Key. found a bunch of other guys. And that led me to check out places like Ring of Honor and PWG and pick up DVDs. And, like, I remember, you know, just picking up stuff because of those guys. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I remember I got one of the first PWG DVDs I ever bought was, um, it was like Daniels and AJ Styles were in the main event. And that's the only reason I bought it. It was on sale. I bought it. And then I found a bunch of other new guys because there was a bunch of PWG guys I didn't know about. And the same thing with, like, the Ring of Honor stuff. So it's like, yeah, the TNA thing was actually very important to me. I talk about it all the time. I will joke about a lot of the stupid shit they did, like the midget jerking off in a trash can, the Johnsons, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett giving um, the um, midget the stroke and then laughing and saying he just had a mini stroke. Uh, the midget that pulled a gun on him more specifically, by the way. I should there was a lot that. of bad midget stuff early on. Yeah. There really was. Good luck. Uh, like... To encompass TNA early on, as, as Steve said, there was a lot of bad and a lot of good. Here's a perfect combination of the bad and good. The bad was the Johnsons. The good, though, Mortimer Plumtree was a fun fucking manager. 
<laughs> yeah, that guy did not nearly get He did not get uh, the lengthy run that he deserved because he did some good stuff back then. And I remember hearing him pop up later on. He was, uh, we were watching it. We watched some Minnesota indie DVD. I forget what it was. It's like an Eric Cannon deal or something. And freaking Mortimer Plumtree was on there doing commentary like years after he was in TNA. So that was a random one. Like, whoa, random to him. Guess he's up in Minnesota. I don't know. Yeah, he. I liked him a lot. So, but um, it was it was fun stuff. But uh, yeah, there was just a lot about those early days. And uh, the reason we're kind of doing like the 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 backstory stuff is, I guess, uh, Impact Wrestling announced that TNA is making a return for one night only. Impact announced TNA is coming back as part of WrestleCon uh, 2020 <clears throat> during WrestleMania weekend. The event will be held on Friday, April 3rd, and there, it will be titled TNA, There's No Place Like Home. That's right. Now, Steve, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people are instantly down on this idea. They're down on it because why would you go back and want to relive that something, something people ge- genuinely mock a lot? Why wouldn't you put on an Impact branded show? Because it's what you are now. And... You know, why are you going to put on a show when you can't use so many of the people, so many of the guys that people associate with TNA, like your AJs, your Joes, your Daniels, and other people? And that's a good question, Larry Zonka. But uh, to, uh, to there are people like you and I that do fondly remember the promotion. And let's be honest, there is also a market out there for pe- people that don't fondly remember the promotion and might want to <laughs> might want to see some of this, some of the bad stuff over again, right? May yeah. you want to see some uh, may you want to see some midgets jerking off in trash cans. And but, uh, you know, there's a market. I mean, I write a column called Botched. There's a market for people who want to watch bad stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, there really is, dude. I mean, Matthew's made a life off of it. That's right. God bless him for it. But uh, yeah, I I see no problem with uh, TNA for coming back for one night only. And uh, Impact Wrestling will have enough other times to shine. I don't think that them taking the giving the brand the night off for WrestleMania weekend is gonna hurt anything. That's right. So it, it's gonna be interesting to see what they do. They've announced some stuff for the show. They have announced that. There is going to be an Ultimate X match, which, yes. thanks guys, you ruined one of my wish list things that we're going to talk about. <laughs> and also some of the talent did that too, but they've announced that Amazing Red is going to be there, Disco Inferno, Petey Williams, Scott Steiner, um, Chris Saban, Wildcat Chris Harris, and of course, Steve, representing the Aces and Eights, D'Lo Brown and Ken Anderson. <laughs> Yes, yes, sir. Well, one of the classic, uh, one of the classic angles of all time, the old aces and eights. Ugh, man, nostalgia. So they've announced some stuff for this show, and Steve and I talked about this over uh, DM on Twitter, and we were like, we should put together like a wish list of what we want to see on this show. And some of it is obviously going to be silly. Some of it's going to be just nostalgia stuff. A little bit of it's going to be serious, Steve. Would you like to go first? Some of it would be fun, and I and I I'll lead off here because I cannot imagine having a TNA show without the announced team that was on TNA for about ninety five percent of its existence. We're talking Mike Tenay and Don West. I I have no idea what Mike Tenay has been up to since he uh, stopped doing commentary. 
Uh, Don West, I know, still he's still he popped up with Global Force Wrestling there for a minute with uh, with Jeff Jarrett. He still ha- he's still tied with Jeff. I know that. So, but you know those two guys, whether they like him or not, Tanay you know Tanay was better at being an analyst than he was a play by play guy. And I, I, Don West was awesome. I will not hear any different on Don West. He was the most one of the most enthusiastic people I ever heard commentate anything. So. If you're gonna have a TNA show, you gotta have Mike Stan Don West doing the call. I know that I know Josh Matthews, John Don Callis, whatever, but no, you gotta have Mike and Don. No, and I agree with that because I mean uh, they were the voice of TNA for a lot of fans. Um, West, I think, is a prob. I think he's highly probable for this because he's he's seemed open to coming back for things in the past. Tanay, as far as I know, I remember he was doing like a, like a, he's living, he lives in Vegas. I think he was doing like a gambling podcast, like an odds podcast. Cause he's big into that kind of stuff. Um, the thing about Tanay is I highly doubt he's coming in because I mean, I would love it too, but they have made overtures in the past for him to come back and call like a slam anniversary or a bound for glory. Um, a lot of it was because he was very seedy over, how the old management ousted him for Matthews Mm. because they basically told him that they weren't taking him out and they were going to do this. And then all of a sudden when they were on destination America, they stopped flying him into Nashville to do the voiceover work and they just kind of fucked him over. So it left a really bad taste. And by all accounts, he seems very happy outside of wrestling, but, um, you know, I'm not going to lie, man. I would mark out for Don West and uh, Mike today one last night. You yeah, know? And, and I one think, more night, Mike. Come on. And I honestly think that, I've said this before, if they do another Hall of Fame induction stuff, Tanay is one of the guys that should be in there. Sure. So, I've said Tanay and Jerry Lynn are two guys I'm, like, very high on for that, so... Uh, so Steve, I'm going to go, uh, amazing red wrestling was on my list and Don West was on my list. We already have amazing red announced. Hopefully yeah. Don West gets to go crazy and announce a match for him. That would be great. Yes. Uh, I'm going to start off with some kind of light stuff. Uh, like I'm trying to think of like knockouts they could viably bring back from the past that are still working and still good. Cause I don't want to have this like a shit match, you know? <laughs> Um, but I think two people you could bring back are Alyssa Flash and Hamada. Oh. They had some yes. really good matches back in the day. Hamada's still working in Mexico. Alyssa Flash, if you don't know, is cheerleader Melissa still working. Um, I think that they would be f- two fun knockouts to bring back. And if you're going to have them wrestle, they're still capable of having, they could have a singles match or you could. You know, you could put them uh, with partners and do a tag. You could do a lot with them, mix them up with some of the new talent. But I think those are two that you could bring in. Definitely. Definitely uh, good, good grabs on both of those uh, two talented ladies who are still doing it. And uh, I got to be honest with you that uh, some of the people I'll list later are probably not quite in their class as far as still doing it, but that's all right. Um, for my For my next one, I think we need to go back way back we need to go back to the first very first uh tna match remember the very first tna show very first tna pay-per-view the very first match it featured uh i believe it was aj styles it was low-key as jerry lynn is a six-man tag and they took on uh three men with uh some of an interesting gimmick the flying elvises 
That's right, because, hey, they're in Tennessee, they're in Huntsville, Alabama, then they're in Tennessee. Elvis is still popular down there, for God's sakes. You had uh, Sonny Siaki, you had Jimmy Yang, you had Jorge Estrada. Now, I looked it up. I don't think Siaki's uh, wrestling anymore. He hadn't wrestled for a while, actually. He retired. Um, uh, Jimmy Yang's not not working, but he still he still hangs around. He still pops up from time to time. I have no idea what Jorge Estrada is doing. But tell me you wouldn't mark out if the Flying Elvises came out on the stage. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. They don't even have to wrestle, man. Just make a cameo. No. See, that's the, that's the fun thing with a show like this. You can do a bunch of cameo things. Just have guys pop in. They come out to the ring. They do the little Elvis shuffle thing. Yeah. Whatever. And, like, here, like this is what I had. And this is a total joke, obviously. But it's a very inside thing for those that watch TNA, Steve. You know what I want? I need an appearance by three men, and they're not the Flying Elvises. I need <laughs> Chase Stevens, Cassidy Riley, and Andy Douglas to appear to give oh. us the hot shots slash naturals crossover we always wanted. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. There were uh, two, uh, two t- tag teams that were very similar, obviously, because they, they shared some members and whatnot. But for a long time, you had the Hoshats and you had the Naturals. They were uh, they were never really the top tag team, but they're kind of always uh, on the cusp. They, they like, got they pushes have, at times. Like they had Jimmy Hart with them and Chris Candido. and Shane Douglas uh, yeah. for a time. So, yeah, they, yeah. they got shots at times. They uh, The big angle at one point was they stole AMW's gear. Yes. They had some good matches at AMW, that's for sure. So, some but good. yes, I would, uh, like a little interview segment backstage where they all awkwardly meet. You know, just something. Again, you can do a lot of little things on this show that's fun. And while we're on that topic, speaking of, uh, speaking of AMW, we've already heard Wildcat Chris Harris announced, and we've heard some, we've heard a couple NWA names announced. And I'd, you were talking earlier. I don't know about the James Storm situation. I don't know about his contract status and whatnot. But I have a feeling that uh, I don't know if the NWA would be broken hearted. I think they might. They might be okay if James Storm came back for one night only here and uh, teamed up with Chris Harris, reformed America's Most Wanted. I think people would would like to see that. I agree, and I have that on my list as well. Do you have an idea who they would wrestle though? Uh, there's a couple of different options I also had on my list that I was looking at. Uh, one that popped into my head where if Christopher Daniels isn't available, which I would be surprised if he was, if he's not available, uh, when I think of America's Most Wanted, probably their best series was with, was with uh, Daniels and Elix Skipper. Now, if they can get Elix Skipper, if they can get David Young, the Diamonds in the Rough, I think that could work. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I thought that if you bring in, if you do AMW at the sh- AMW at the show here, um, they're likely. I think they're going to end up working a a regular Impact tag team. I think the best choice stylistically wise would be right now the champions, the North Ethan Page and Josh Alexander. Um, they're just more of an old school tag team, and I wouldn't expect Chris Harris to be able to do a lot these days. No, probably so not. So I think a basic match with the North, plus the North of the tag team champions, you can push the North that they beat the most successful tag team in Impact history. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what I was thinking. I am going to I'm gonna jump towards the top of my list, Steve Cook. And if All there's right. anything I want from this show more than anything, 
I almost want this more than the success of my children. <laughs> I need one thing from this show, Steve. What's that? I need one more Monty Brown <laughs> pounds. Oh, you know he was on my list. Absolutely. You got to have Monty Brown there. I I know I know that Ethan Page has been trying to get Monty Brown booked for years, and he hasn't been able to do it yet. But uh, you got you to make the call, man. Got to make the call. See if it can happen. We need Monty Brown. And again, I don't need Monty to wrestle. I don't need Monty to particularly look in great shape. He can no. come out in a lovely leopard print suit if he wants. <laughs> I just want someone being an asshole in the ring and Monty Brown come out, pounce him out of his fucking shoes, pose on the ropes, and scream out, are you not entertained? That's right. And then he can leave. That's all it takes. He can go back home. That's all it takes right there. That's all it takes. And uh, you know what? Well, we're talking about people from back in the day. We're talking about folks from back in the day. We're talking about, I'm going to kind of make it present day as well. Because you, I recall a couple weeks ago on this podcast, we were talking about NXT we were talking about a return uh, to television of uh, of one particular wrestler who had reformed the tag team with somebody. Am I being vague enough? Probably not. But uh, if there is one guy I would like to see make a random appearance here, and I think he would be able to, I would like to see Alex Shelley. But more importantly than that, I don't want to see just Alex Shelley. I want to see the baby bear Alex Shelley with Goldilocks. Yes. Went, that is what we need. You went in a different direction. I thought you were going somewhere else, but all right. Yeah, okay, yeah, because you were thinking some, something else. But it might play into it as well because we've already heard Chris Saban announced. So I'm thinking that uh, when we got an Ultimate X match announced too. So why not uh, have Shelly and Saban be two of the guys in that match? Well, they were the guys, and I when I used to review Explosion all the time, they would always fucking pop up these Ultimate X matches and the Red Cage of Death and all that shit. And it was like, every time Impact ran a paper, or TNA ran a pay-per-view and they had to run one of these matches and they needed bodies, they were like, bring us the machine guns. That's right. Because we need to have a great match and these guys have worked more of these matches than anybody else. And they always delivered. Uh, I would not be opposed to them being in Ultimate X. It would probably be great. I don't think Alex Shelley would probably want to work in Ultimate X. And plus, Chris Saban is coming off knee surgery, so I kind of doubt it. I'm not saying they have to take the bumps. I mean, you can mix in, like you mentioned mixing in the North with America's Most Wanted. You can probably mix in your Ace Austin or whoever your are Throw the fucking Rascals in right there. Like the, let the throw the, the Rascals. The Rascals would be a great choice. Yeah, that'd be a great choice. Put them in there. Put them in the Ultimate X and have them take the bumps. See, I was kind of, I'm thinking slightly the same thing as you're thinking. Um, I was thinking Motor City Machine Guns Reunion, and I was thinking um, doing a, a throwback match with another classic Impact slash TNA tag team. I was thinking if you could get him, because he never fully retires, but despite the fact that he says he is every year to become a doctor. Motor City Machine Guns <laughs> versus the American Wolves. Oh, wow. Yeah, there is. have we seen Davey Richards lately? He's popped up from time to time. That fucker's never retiring. He's a lie piece of shit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure that we've seen uh, the machine guns and the wolves at some point. They've crossed paths, I'm sure. But uh, I'd be all for that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Like, part of me would love saving and Shelly and Ultimate X, but part of me's like, I, it's like, no, they've done so many. It's like, and like I said, <laughs> the Saban's coming off that knee surgery again, and 
you know, Shelley's been like recouping over the years from his litany of injuries. So, but uh, yeah, definitely. And is uh, is Goldilocks like? I don't know. She like what does she do now? Do you even? I know? have no idea. I have no idea. Okay. I, she used to be in music. I mean, the way back you hit the way back machine, and uh, she even did some TNA themes after she was like not on TV anymore. So I don't know, but I would like to. I'd like find Goldilocks. I I like to see the baby bear out there. All right. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's right. So uh, now, are you next, or are we going back to me here? Going back you, to you. Yeah, you mixed well, you mixed some stuff in there. So I like it. I like it. It's a good idea. Good stuff. But uh, while we're speaking, uh, you know, I just wanted something uh, something simple here. Uh, when you think of Impact, what's what's one of the main things that made Impact Wrestling stand out from uh, from WWE? And when you turn the show on. Like you just flip your television on, you take a look at the the impact zone, if you will. You just take a look in, in the middle of the screen. What's the main thing that made Impact stand out for me, Raw or SmackDown show? To quote every AJ Styles interview, our ring had six sides, man. You need a goddamn six side ring for the show. That's right. There's no choice. The ring has to have six sides. Otherwise, it's not a legitimate TNA show. I'm sorry. It is, and that was on my list too. I think it was actually at the top. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna do it for one night only, you gotta have the authentic nature of the show, man. You, you gotta do it. You're doing Ultimate X already, and I yeah, I think you need the six sided ring, man. It's like, and you know, to kind of like jump back before we carry on a little bit, it's like it's like this this show is kind of the brainchild of Ethan Page because him and Josh Alexander were doing these watch alongs on the Twitch channel. Oh. And they were watching, like, all these old TNA. And he kept talking about how... He's like, we should do a TNA one-night-only thing and, like, bring back <laughs> a bunch of people. And he yeah. harped on it all the time. And then they talked the company into making them um, the North T-shirts, which are basically... They look like the old TNA logo and say mm-hmm. the North. <clears throat> and he was like... He had Scott Demore on a watch-along. They were watching the famous Scott Demore-Dusty Rhodes match. <laughs> and uh like Scott Demore was like such a fucking mark. He was like Wait a minute, was that the Midnight Rider? No, no, it was Dusty. Oh, I thought they brought the Midnight Rider for that. No. Or was that a different match? I it was a different match, but like I remember Midnight Rider being Demore's just marking out <laughs> this whole interview or this whole thing talking about getting to work with Dusty, you know. And, uh, sure. and then like Paige is hitting him up about doing the TNA thing. He's like, We gotta do it, Mania Weekend, we gotta do it. And he's like, I don't know if anybody really wants it. He's like, we got to do it, Scott. And, like, he had done it. So when it was announced, I retweeted. I was like, I retweeted Ethan Page. like, the crazy son of a bitch finally did it. Because this is something he's wanted. And I, I do think it's, like, kind of cool that he got it. So I hope he has a good place on the show. But, yeah, you need the six-sided ring. You need authenticity. Like I said, if you're going to do something, you do it all the way. Like, when they did that throwback show for the Thanksgiving show this year, that was completely ridiculous and 80s yeah. themed and all that. If you're going to do something like that, you can't do it half-assed because it's going to suck. You have right. to go all the fucking way with it. If you do a TNA show without a six-sided ring, you're not even fucking trying. No, it's not a TNA show without six-sided ring. I ain't close. So I agree with you. Um, Again, little reunions we don't necessarily have to have in ring because uh, I know one of these guys... Uh, hasn't wrestled in a long time. I think we need an OG Team Canada reunion. 
Oh. Teddy Hart, Johnny Devine, and Petey <laughs> Williams, along with Coach Demore. Obviously, we're likely not getting Jack Evans because he's an AEW, but maybe if it's just a cameo appearance and Jack Evans popping in, they'll let him do it. That'd be even fucking better. But yes, I am all I'm down for a little OG Team Canada reunion. Uh yeah, Team Canada also on my list. And I was <laughs> I was kinda wondering who they could possibly mix in for that. I mean, if they wanted to have an actual match, I'm not sure what your choices are there. I see Johnny Devine still active. Uh Tyson Duke's still active. I haven't I have no idea if A1's still active or not. No idea. Yes, he is. He was wrestling it, uh, Border City last year and did some impact there. stuff. Well, there you go. So if you wanted to have a six-man tag with Team Canada and somebody, there you go. But I would definitely, I mean, if you could do a six-man tag with Teddy Hart and people like that, then sure, why the <laughs> hell not? Have Scott Demore be the monkey in the middle there. <laughs> but yeah, we, need, we definitely need some Team Canada love on this show. That's Because right. Team Canada was an important part. They're one of the top heel acts in TNA for, for, most, of, for most of the company's existence. Really was, and it's just, uh, I, yeah, Team Canada was a lot of fun, and uh, obviously another unit you can't have everybody in because, like, the best tag team out of Team Canada was obviously Bobby Reed and Eric Young. Yeah, unfortunately not available. Yeah, so... Um, Doing so many things in WWE. <laughs> yeah, very busy these days. So. I was wondering, though, um, uh, with the Petey Williams situation, do you put Petey with Team Canada, or do you have him with, I guess you, you do both, you have him with Team Canada, and may have him in a tag with Scott Steiner? I think if you're doing, like, a night of cameos and running gags, you have him do, like, a Team Canada segment, and then you have Scott Steiner cutting a promo, and then you have little Petey Pump pop up with him, man. I just, I, I think, like, sight gags and little shit like that all throughout the night would be great. Sure. Sure, and uh, let's see. While we're while we're speaking about old groups, old groups, uh, you know, Father James Mitchell's still an integral part of uh, Impact Wrestling to this day. He's still doing stuff there, but I think he needs to bring back the disciples in a new church. They need to bring it back simply for the fucking theme music. Yes, exactly. Just for the just for theme music, and I don't know what kind of shape Slash and Brian Lee are in these days, or anybody else they could dig up, but uh, just have him do the entrance. Him do an entrance. That's like, all you need. I'm not certain. Did did Brian Lee die? Ah, uh, he was still alive according to Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad. I think you you're thinking that. of Brian Adams. Okay, okay, yeah. I think you're thinking of Brian Adams. Crush. I may be. So I just I was like, I don't want to like. Yes, let's put a dead guy on the show, especially after you said they, whoever they can dig up. I was like, oh. <laughs> <look, laughs> that would be. A, I mean, that would definitely be outside the box digging up a dead guy and putting him on the show. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, but uh, I, yeah, dude, if, if for nothing else than the theme music alone, uh, I would be all for that. Um, yeah. And again, I, you don't have to have all these guys wrestle. Like, I don't want like the hotshot slash naturals wrestling. I just want a wacky cameo with them meeting backstage and looking confused. Yeah. You know, so I mean, there's just, there's stuff you can do. And I think another one you could do is, uh, LAX Conan homicide and Hernandez. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a team we haven't seen quite some time. Of course, uh, we had the we had the feud with uh, with the OGs in LAX a couple years back. Exactly. So you you could bring them in and have it's them unfinished like finished business there. Yeah. Well, no, they, they they ended the feud. Oh, okay, so yeah. they're friends. They're friends again. Yeah. yeah, they ended things because the uh, the dons of the families were like they, they told them they couldn't fucking fight anymore because they were ruining street business. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah it makes sense. Makes sense. Um. You know what? When we're spe- uh, we're speaking of uh, classic characters, just uh, you know, 
characters that TNA was known for over the years, when you think of one of the first guys I think of that uh, a character that probably could not have worked in WWE, probably wouldn't have gotten over that big. But man, Shark Boy was an over motor scooter. I would, I would not, uh, I would not doubt Shark Boy making an appearance on this show. It makes sense. I mean, I don't think he does much these days, but st- have, he just has to pop in and. You know, seriously, you could do like some kind of, for lack of a better word, geek battle royal, have Sharky run out and give a bunch of stunners. And yeah, you could do easy, fun stuff with him too. Yeah, he's definitely another guy. And like you said, he was over. Uh, obviously, the one thing we can't do though is the, the, the League of Heroes with Curry Man and Super Eric with him. Yeah, that's a sham. Yeah. <laughs> can't leave that off. Although, uh... I, I tell you what, I would mark out if Curry Man popped in. Hmm. That would be interesting. I mean, he, as far as I know, I know two things about Curry, man. He is still the un, undefeated fire champion. Yes. And he owes Christopher Daniels 50 bucks. He's also hot and spicy and tastes great. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, again, a lot of fun stuff you can do with this show, I think, Steve. And I just, I know a lot of people were kind of wanting to shit on it and stuff. And I, I get why, but like. You know what? It, not every fucking wrestling show has to be super serious and yeah. have to have 18 five-star matches. I mean, I love great wrestling. Don't get me wrong. I did watch some great stuff this morning with New Japan. But I can also appreciate, like, people don't understand every week. Like, if I give the NWA a good rating, like if I say it's a good show and they only have, like, two matches and the matches were only average. But, yeah. like, this week's show... Had that great opening Nick Aldis promo, and then you had that money segment with him and Marty at the end. As long as the matches are solid, you're building stuff for next week, and you have some great promos, I'm going to give you a good grade. Yeah, yeah, like like last week's show didn't have a particularly high amount of matches, but the best things on that show were that uh, that tag team confrontation with uh, with Storm and Drake and with uh, with uh, Aaron Stevens and the question mark and Trevor Murdoch and all that, and then he had the sit down interview with uh, Scroll and with Aldis, and he had the great Aldis interview with Sean Moody. Just a lot of solid stuff on that show, whether whether star ranks were high or not. And uh, there's one more name I have to mention. Before we hit me, before we, before we wrap up our list here, there's one name that's still on my list here. I have a couple other things on here, like Dancing Cage Girls and Raven's Clockwork Orange House of Fun, maybe Vince Russo appearance, Director of Authority. But the one thing I want to see more than anything else on my list, Larry Zonka, you can't have a throwback to TNA without the original TNA knockout. You got Tracy Brooks in the show, right? Come on. I mean, you kind of have to. I would mark out for Tracy Brooks. I, no problem the with that. Knockout, one. Preferably in their in the schoolgirl attire, but uh, any kind of attire would do. What if they ump the ante, Steve, and they bring in Tracy Brooks in the schoolgirl outfit and have her as the cage dancing girl? Uh, I'd I'd be okay with it. I believe she did that on an on an episode, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I believe there was a I believe there was a cat fight with a uh, lovely uh, with lovely Tracy and lovely lollipop that uh, kind of arose in that situation. And there might have been some other things arising from the situation, but let's not get into that here. What if they brought back Matt Bentley with Tracy Brooks to do the Bentley bounce one last time? I was wondering if they could bring back uh, possibly Matt Bentley. Perhaps they could have they could reform the the new franchise group of Shane Douglas. That could possibly be a thing. Keep Shane Douglas away from the show, man. 
What is Raven? The, what is Raven up to these days? Does he do anything? I think he, he does he's a podcast. still around, dude. I think I saw an announcement. He's working a match sometime. I think he might be working Mania Weekend actually. Well, there you go. Well, if so, Raven's in town, I think you got to bring him in. He was uh, one of the part one of the big early focal points of TNA. That uh, I remember that early pay per view you did against Jeff Jarrett. That drove that drove one of their biggest buy rates. I think throughout at their the time, existence. Yeah. Yeah. It did. So that, think, that was Raven Hawk coming off his WWE release. He yeah. came in and beat the shit out of Jeff Jarrett and stole the NWA title. And unfortunately, it took him like a year and a half to finally put the title on him. But um, yeah. and of course, <laughs> a little too long on that. And of course, they did it when they were heading off a of TV. Yeah, and they were in that weird area where they were off Fox Sports. They were online, and then. That's some good shows, too. Yeah, that was, like, honestly one of the better book periods in 2005 in their existence. And then about a week before they were about to debut on Spike TV, they did a Canadian screw job where AMW and Gail Kim joined up with Jeff Jarrett. They screwed Raven. Jeff Jarrett won the title so he could go into Spike TV on the debut as the world champion. Yeah, that was definitely an idea. Definitely an idea. And uh, speaking of an idea, one more name I want to mention on my list here. And I'm sure that he's not on good terms with current management. And I'm not even the biggest fan of the guy. I would not bring him back as Austin Aries. I would bring him back as the Austin Star. There you go. That's the one time uh, I cared most about him as the Austin Star. Other, you know, throughout his whole existence, that's when I thought he was his most interesting. Oh Christ! You know, you just remind. Okay, let, I, I just, I know, I just had a thought. What do you think are the odds? that they could get Kevin Nash to come in and do oh. a backstage paparazzi segment with Shelly. Shelly could be back there, and, uh, you know, Saban could be back there, too. It, that, that'd be a good piece of business. Of course, they, they're going to call up Nash, and he's going to go, <laughs> for another five grand. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Nash will be in town for, like, Hall of Fame and shit. I mean, maybe they could talk him into popping in. I mean... He's obviously not, they're not going to ask him to work or anything. I mean, just like, huh. listen, Alex, because Alex Shelley is still like really close with him and loves that dude. He, he talks about Nash positively all the time for teaching him a lot of stuff. I would mark out for a paparazzi production thing. Hell, maybe they could talk Nash into just letting Shelley come to his hotel room and pre-tape something. <laughs> that could work. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I would kind of mark out for a paparazzi production segment. Yes. Yes. What's that? But again, I think there's a lot of fun that can be had with this show. And I am not going to shit all over it because it's fun. I think you could actually have some interesting past versus present matches. I mean, ROH is going to be doing that as well coming up. And I just, I think there's a lot you can do. And I I don't see anything wrong with, and here's the other thing too, over Mania weekend, there's going to be a shit ton of great shows. There's Uh going to be the Joey Janela spring breaks. There's going to be the Joey Ryan's penis party. There's Effie's <laughs> big gay brunch. There's uh, stuff that's different. Yeah. yeah, there's all kind of stuff that's different. There's going to be great shows. There's going to be standard shows of whatever that promotion is. Impact going in there and throwing on a TNA reunion show is not the worst idea to try to be a little different and bring in some old names and do have a show. It, Darn right. And listen, Darn Steve. Too. I'm going to review it. It may be a ton of fun. It could suck too. Who knows? But I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to shit on it. I'm kind of looking forward to it because I just think there's a lot of fun you can have with it. I'll take a get Taylor Hendricks to come in, the first TNA gut check winner. 
There you go. Why not have a segment with Tracy Brooks and Taylor Hendricks just to pop me? Sure. <laughs> so, um, so, fine. I'll book. I'll book towards myself. Why not? <laughs> uh, yeah, why not? Damn right. Everybody else does. That's right. So to close things out, Steve, I know one conversation we've had a lot is uh, there are several TNA stars that have left TNA slash Impact and gone to WWE that maybe really shouldn't have. Yeah. And I think we should talk about some of those right now, Steve. Who is somebody you would like to, to name to your list? Hmm. Oh, man. I mean, I think it depends on how much you like Bobby Roode's NXT run. Uh, some people liked it and some people really didn't. And uh, I would say the one thing that Bobby Roode has gained from uh, WWE was the glorious uh, entrance song. Other than that, what's he done? He's wearing long tights now. He looks fucking weird. Well, I guess he 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 had to go off of whatever he uh, got popped for, right? Skipping leg day now, brother. Yeah, man. Oh boy, not good. But uh, I think Rude had to had to be near the top of my list. And um, well, see, Matt Hardy went back and forth between the companies. So I'm not even sure he really counts. Yeah. But, I don't uh, think you can count back and forth, guys. But yeah, yeah, that that when we're talking about guys, you'd be better off somewhere else. That would be. One of my top choices right there. By the way, but, I, I know everybody's <laughs> going to go, well, they're making more money now. But yeah, that's great. I'm talking just overall use-wise, okay? Yes, of course, they're making more money, and I'm sure they're happy with their money. But yeah. there are guys that were way better off in Impact slash TNA. Um, number one on my list, Ethan Carter III. EC3. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that poor bastard. Yeah, what the, what the, what is he even doing now? Is he doing anything? Apparently, is he still with the 24-7 well, Geeks? Or? No, apparently he had got a very uh, severe concussion. And uh, he's been out of action. He was still working live events, dude. Oh, yeah, jeez. So, jeez. I mean, I, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad for him, but that he's hurt, obviously. And also that, like, Again, th- this isn't the fact that these all could have been world champion guys or anything like that. All the way, by the way, I agree with Bobby Roode. Had him on my list, but EC3 at the very least has a great look. He can talk and is a solid worker. Could have been a good mid card guy at the very fucking worst. I have no idea why they signed the guy. To be honest with you, to take no a, idea. Had to take the toy away from the other kid. Yeah, apparently. So who do you got next? Ah, uh, my next one. I'm just gonna stick with in the, in the, in the Bobby Roode section. You mentioned the best tag team uh, iteration of Team Canada, Eric Young. Eric Young was one of the most popular people in the history of TNA. Like the, that guy, just throughout his time with the company, was always always very popular with the fans. He's always, whether he was in good stuff or not, he was in a lot of bad stuff too. Let's be honest. Eric Young had some pretty shitty runs there, but uh, people are always into it. People are always interested in what he was Nobody doing. Nobody made the made more out of that shit stuff than him, though. A That's lot right. Of, and a lot of other <laughs> dudes right. would have cracked under that shit. Oh yeah, but he made he made the best he could out of it. And uh, ever since he's gone to WWE, he has not really had a chance to make the best out of anything. I agree, and uh, he, I also had him on my list. Number two, uh, another big name. A dude that should have been more, a dude that could have legit main evented, has a look, has the background, had some great matches and impact. Bobby fucking Lashley. Uh-huh. 
This is a guy yeah, that you could have brought in as a fucking killer, played up that MMA background, gave him a big undefeated streak, and you could have at least gotten one fucking big pay-per-view out of him and Brock. Yeah, how'd they miss that? That one seemed obvious. Well, it's good shit power to have him fuck Lana and do a <laughs> wedding on TV. Oh, gosh. Although, yeah. I mean, theoretically, if he was banging Lana in real life, not a horrible trade-off combined with the paycheck. Yep. No, I mean, I won't argue with that. No. Um, for my next one, I'm going to go a little old school with my next one, okay? Hit me. We're going to go back in time on this one. It was somebody that uh, somebody has really used their top potential in TNA. Uh, whenever they are, whenever they are in TNA, they're always uh, near the top of the card, always doing good stuff, and uh, TNA really treat them with a lot of respect. But uh, man, when Gail Kim was in WWE, she got this. She did nothing. She did a whole lot of nothing there. And even Gail Kim's matches in WWE were ten times worse than they were in TNA. For I don't know what the reason was. The to be only with you. Mem- it's just the, there are the two or what? Not to cut you off. There are two yeah. memorable instances of Gail Kim's career. <laughs> when she debuted with that cool Matrix entrance and won the title in the Battle Royal. Yeah. And then the match where she left in the Battle Royal where she eliminated herself <laughs> and said, fuck off, I'm done. That was great. She just rolled out of the ring like, see you later. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, Gail's a w- kind of weird one to have on the list because she was like, she was in WWE, went to TNA, went to WWE, and then went back. But obviously her impact career, a million times better than her WWE career, Obviously made sense for her to be an Impact Hall of Famer. Had a, a ton of really good to great matches in Impact. The awesome Kong stuff obviously stands out. Her last match with Tessa. She was also great, though, with that AMW Jared group as well as a yeah. second. And yeah. she played the long game for the longest time because they were like, we're going to bring in a women, we promise. And <laughs> we're going to highlight you. And she waited it out. You know, so yeah. And she... um. Yeah, Gail's TNA Impact run, you can't underestimate. She was so good. And, uh, yeah, definitely somebody that... I mean, it, it all... Christ, go back to the Jim Ross interview where he had to explain to Vince McMahon while <laughs> Gil, why Gail Kim was not only an athletic asset, but attractive. Oh, because wow. Vince did not understand that men liked Asian women or Asian porn. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Tremendous. <laughs> I mean, that tells you kind of all you need to know about her WWE run. Yeah. But, I mean, Gail seems extremely happy in life after wrestling. She's with Robert Irvine, gets to travel the world with him, works in a backstage role in Impact. Again, had that great match with Tessa to close out her career. Uh, you know, and, hey, you know, Gail, I don't know if she'd wrestle. She may. Uh, Gail popping up on the show, maybe like in a sure. six-woman match. Oh yeah, that'd be fine. You know, I I think that would be fun, but because uh, we kind of I, I left her off just because I wasn't thinking about it because of the retirement thing. But it's fucking wrestling. Everybody. I'm sure. I mean, Gail and Tracy started off together pretty much, so yeah, that, that makes some sense. So I mean, but yeah, but uh, no, some I agree with Gail. She definitely had a much better just yeah, no, like I said, two memorable moments in uh, WWE and one not for the right reason, but it was still hilarious. Yes. Next on my list, um. Even though they're getting paid for doing nothing, Mike and Maria. (laughs) Mike and Maria were actually pushed like stars. Maria got a ton of TV time. Mike was on the cusp of main eventing. And they were just, they were, I know this is going to shock some people. They were booked like stars in Impact. Weird to think. 
And now Mike Kanellis can't find a, you know, he can't find a TV with a Best Buy, and he can't find the WWE Network with a subscription. Yeah. Um, Maria's having another kid, and um, yeah, it's just like they did. Like the worst part too is when they brought them in right away. They never should have came to the main roster first. No, and they never should have came at that time because they popped up at a time when Miz and Maurice were finishing up their stuff. And they really came across like Dollar Tree, Miz, and Marie's. Pretty much. Yeah, that's a fair and accurate point right there. I would argue, though, that Mike and Maria have probably done the best job of gaming the system. Oh, gaming the system and they getting have paid like a motherfucker? Yeah. Brilliantly at that stuff. I mean, Mike went in the rehab. Maria's had a couple kids under contract. They are just doing they're doing phenomenal work. I, mean, I know they're not doing anything in the ring, but uh, you know they're doing phenomenal work. Let's just say that. Yeah, and I I don't I mean you know good for them to get paid if they're happy with it, man. But there you go. <laughs> darn right, darn darn toot. Um, is there anyone else you want to shout out there? Yeah, I got a couple. Um, I think obviously, um, there was one. It wasn't a long run, but it really stalled his TNA career at the time because he tried to make a choice that he thought was the best. Chris Harris. Oh, Braden, Braden Walker. I that one slipped my mind for obvious reasons. Because again, Chris Harris was a guy that was always uh, AMW the tag title mix. He was a guy that they kept teasing they were going to push to a main event run, and it's like he decided to leave because he thought he could make more money and go to WWE. And <laughs> I'm Braden Walker. You knock your teeth out. So, what was better then? Uh, Chris Harris's random WWE run in ECW's Brain Walker or James Storm's one appearance on NXT? Well, I think the James Storm appearance because uh, it got him more money from Impact. <laughs> also, a good, uh, good uh, job of gaming the system yeah. there. But the other thing was, too, is like he went in there, he worked a match, he was friendly, everybody loved him, they thought he was a good worker, and he had an open invitation to come back. And then he, he wanted to work a reduced schedule because of his uh, wife's pregnancy issues. And Impact paid him more money than NXT was going to pay him to work less dates. But then he also had the invitation if he wanted to go and work dates to go back to NXT at some point in the future. So it's like he kind of had the best of both worlds. He was making more money for less dates but still had an option that, at that time that he could have went to NXT when that contract was up. So good on him. Yeah, now he's hanging out with uh, Eli Drake as Tag Team Champions, which is pretty cool. And, uh, of course, you might mention Eli Drake is just one of those guys can, that completely, uh, WWE completely whiffed on just in general. Yeah. Well, I mean... He, well, he was under was, contract, right? He was, but that yeah. was developmental, and I, I, I'm more looking for TNA to WWE. But, yeah, they definitely... they He was a guy with a good look, could talk, and they just apparently didn't see a lot in him. And I don't know why, but, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't work. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to lie. When he originally came into Impact, I was, like, really cold on him at first. And, like, he started gaining some steam. And then for the longest time, I was, like, I was hoping he would evolve past doing, like, rock pantomime promos. But he really developed a dude, again, great look, really solid worker with, you know, upper tier potential at times. Hell of a talker. And, yeah, a guy they definitely whiffed on. We'll we'll agree with that in hindsight. Another dude I had on my list, he was in TNA, had a short cup of coffee in WWE, Lance Hoyt. 
<laughs> wow. Yes, that is that is definitely one right there. Lance Hoyt was uh, there in TNA for a long time, and uh, I was not the biggest fan of Lance Hoyt in TNA, but the, the, dude, the dude was over. The dude was very popular there. He was. And then he went to WWE and became uh, Vance Archer, right? That's what it was, it was Vance Archer? Yeah. And then he went to New Japan, became Lance Archer, and freaking awesome. That's right. So I think that's going to close up the TNA portion. And Steve, did, I don't know if you saw, but they announced a new TakeOver match today. Mm. Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai 2 in a street fight. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did hear about that. Um, I got to tell you, the first match I was not terribly impressed with, but uh, hey, you're going to do a street fight gimmick on a TakeOver. I think that'll work a little bit better. Yeah, I do too. So we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, I think that is going to wrap us up for now, Steve. And it's, uh, it's been good. We got to talk a bunch of business and we got to talk a bunch, uh, covering TNA back in the day. Yes, and, TNA. and again, I, I really hope that, that, uh, there's no place like home show comes off. Like, I think that, again, I think you lean into it. You do everything to make it a TNA show. You do some cameos. You have the six sided ring. They're doing ultimate X. I think there's a lot you can do with it, and I just I hope it's a fun show. I'm not expecting a ton of great matches, but I think if you put on a really fun, nostalgic show that people enjoy, I think that's really what the people want. And if there's a little bit of good yeah. wrestling involved, obviously, I'm not going to knock that. I'll love it to death. But um, just lean into it and kind of do it some justice. And well, you know, again, tons of cameo potential. I think being WrestleMania weekend, and it would be cool to see. Again, you can just do like a lot of the cameo stuff I think can highlight the show and be cool. So we'll see what happens, but Steve cook, we will be back Wednesday night for sure. We'll be talking all yeah. the normal AEW NXT stuff, probably any major news that breaks. And, uh, I'll also be, uh, previewing some of the other weekend shows. I'll pre-record some, uh, solo stuff from that. Uh, I'm going to let you go here and then I am going to, uh, pop on and review the, uh, weekend, New beginning and uh, Sapporo shows from New Japan. So thanks for your time, buddy. All right. Peace out. TNA. TNA. All right. So we're going to carry on here with a little solo late night, Larry. It is about 4.55 a.m. Sunday morning here. I'm recording after Steve and I recorded uh, because I'm covering the New Japan stuff, which Steve does not uh, pay attention to super closely and was not going to wake up at 1 a.m. to watch these shows. So that's all right. Um, so I will go ahead and cover these. Uh, we are reviewing New Japan New Beginning in Sapporo 2020, night one starting off. Opening match for the card was Taiji Ishimori and El Phantasmo defeating Yuya Uemura and Tiger Mask at 8.15 via submission. They had a good little opening match. Uh, you had the right winners to keep Ishimori and Phantasmo heated up for a possible junior title shot again as they are the former champions. Yu Amora continues to improve. He always looks great with his near falls. Uh, I love Grumpy Tiger Mask uh, trying to motivate him and be a good New Japan dad. Um, a good little opener. I don't think you can ask for much more out of it, uh, especially the end. They only got eight fifteen. So I mean, good little energetic match. Crowd was really into all the Yuya near falls. So I enjoyed that. Next up, we had Makabe Hanma and Tohanari defeating Tenzan, Nakanishi, and Yotsuji, 9.45 via pin. This was okay. It was a little slow because you had a lot of Hanma, Tenzan, and Nakanishi in there. 
Makabe was in uh, no bumps mode because it wasn't an important match. Uh, but the big thing was Hanari picked up a nice win here heading into night two where he had a singles match. So uh, I like that. He's uh, picked up some nice wins this year so far, and we'll talk more about that on night two, obvious, obviously. Excuse me. Had a hiccup there. Next match of the evening, uh, Will Ospreay, Show Yo, and Taguchi defeating Zack Sabre Jr., El Desperado, Kanemaru, and Doki. 12 minutes via pin. Um... First of all, this was good because we're, we were previewing the Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. match, as well as Sho and Yo versus Kanemaru and Desperado, which they face off later in the, the tour for the uh, junior tag titles. They had a really good energetic match. I thought it was a lot of fun. Thought everybody worked hard, and um, Taichi continues to be Dalki's kryptonite, beating him again with the dote on. Uh, poor Dalki. He, he keeps trying, but he... Uh, he cannot get past Taguchi. It's the power of the ass man. What are you going to say? We uh, kept up with tag team action next. As we had... Excuse me, my format got all messed up here. We had Ryu Lee and Robbie Eagles defeating Hiromi Takahashi and Bushi 11.55 via submission. Really, really good match. Better than the last one. Um, they were obviously building to Ryu Lee and Takahashi later on the tour for their big title match. Again, really good. They continued that build. Uh, Robbie Eagles picked up the submission win on Bushi. And that continues to solidify and keep him strong as a viable future challenger. Because as you will recall, he beat Hiromu on the Road to Tokyo Dome shows back in December via pin. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I can definitely see Robbie Eagles moving into a challenger's position after this tour at some time. And uh, the booking kept him strong here, so I don't think you can ask for much more. Next up, we had uh, Kenta and Jay White defeating Naito and Sonata, 1850 via pin, getting their win back from New Year's Dash. It started slowly. Um, I thought the match went a little bit too long for what it was because it's a setup match. Um, it was pretty good. It hyped those upcoming singles matches on the tour. I thought Jay and Kenta did a lot of really good heel work here, but considering it was almost 19 minutes long, I thought action-wise it felt a little flat. I wasn't expecting a five-star classic or anything, but it just it felt a little little flat and lazy in spots. So, uh, But again, the heel work by the Bullet Club gents was uh, really good. Uh, no complaints. I figured they would get their win back here. And again, we're setting up those singles matches on the 9th. Next up, and, um, a tag match I, I didn't think we'd see if you would ask me this time last year. We had Okada and John Moxley facing off with Taichi and Minoru Suzuki. Uh, this was obviously hyping up Okada and Taichi as well as Moxley and Su Suzuki. I love that Moxley was still wearing his eye patch from the AEW angle. I appreciate little continuity things like that. Uh, he and Okada rushed the ring. We had brawling right away. Um, another very good tag match. Um, I really enjoyed it. The Suzuki and Moxley brawling really shined through. Um, really was the highlight of the match for me. I thought they did nice work to hype up Okada and Taichi. They did nice work with them, including a post-match angle where Taichi choked out Okada laid him out on the ramp with um, the Black Mephisto, and then applied the stretch plum to stand tall and weaken Okada heading into their match on night two. Uh, the big thing here was Suzuki getting the gotch and pinning Moxley 
to further cement him as a threat for that upcoming title match. So it served a few masters, thought it did its job, really good in-ring, no complaints. Our co-main event of the evening, we saw Big Tom Ishii defeating Evil 21-15 via pin. And poor Evil cannot buy a win over Ishii to save his life. All time, if you include his Watanabe days and the Young Lion stuff, he is 0-9 all-time versus Ishii. And I really thought this was going to be the match where he got his win because there's been a lot of rumors that this is going to be the year where um, Evil and maybe Sonata see more of a push that many have expected for a while. But he failed in winning. The good news is that he did not fail in delivering an excellent match because I love this. I thought they had an excellent hoss fight. Big bombs, lots of drama. Amazing selling and fire-up spots from Ishii. He's so good. Very underrated in his selling. Um, and then you combine it with some really tremendous counter stuff down the stretch. They slowly got the crowd into it. They got him really hot near the end. I thought the pacing was tremendous. You had a lot of great near falls. It was basically everything I wanted from these guys. Um, it was hard-hitting, raw times in that kind of real fight sort of way. And while Ishii is far from 100%, he's nursing a knee injury with rumors he's going to have to have knee surgery, he delivered once again, excellent, excellent match. No complaints. Again, everything I wanted. Uh, the kind of stuff you expect from the big lads and kind of the uh, the never open weight style stuff. And speaking of the never open weight style, we go to the never open weight championship match. And in our main event of the evening, Shingo Takagi defeated Hiroki Goto. 2015 via pin to win the championship and to start out in true Goto fashion he succeeds and wins the never title only to lose it right away again no successful defenses of the title so it sucks for him uh, G is for geek when it comes to Goto in terms of booking but while that may be the case you can't take away the fact that Goto is a very great professional wrestler uh, much like Evil and Ishii, I thought this was an excellent match. A, a beautiful war from the Hosses here. And um, again, the exact kind of match I wanted from this championship. It's the kind of thing when I see the Never Open Weight title, this is kind of what I expect. I thought Goto delivered here, but Shingo felt like he was on an entirely different level in terms of overall skill and execution. He is the perfect guy to not only elevate this championship... But it's going to give us more Shingo singles matches going forward. And I love everything about that because Shingo is in that great middle ground to where junior heavyweights can be believable against him and he can obviously work great with them. He is more of a heavyweight though. So he can be a true openweight champion. We can have a lot of good matches. He celebrated post-match. Said he was going to be an openweight champion, a fighting champion. This is his start. He's going to elevate this championship. And um, he had a stare down with Show, who was on commentary. And I am all for them um, re revisiting the Show and Shingo feud. They had a great uh, Best Super Juniors match this year. And um, yeah, I mean, I have no problem with that because I'm all for great and excellent matches. And those guys will deliver. At the end of the day, you look back, Wrestle Kingdom 14 was a spectacular start to New Japan's 2020. 
I thought New Year's Dash did a great job of setting up this tour and the U.S. shows in terms of giving us a lot of matches. So New Japan, New Beginning of Sapporo, Night One, I thought was a great and strong show that played into that build extremely well. It had a great closing stretch of matches. And a lot of the little angles and interactions throughout the show set up the next show we're going to talk about, as well as the show on the 9th. So, again, I, this the best part about this is not only is it a quality wrestling show in terms of the in-ring action, we're still continuing to build those other shows. We're serving several masters, and I think that's very important, and I think they should be commended for that. So I thought it was a, uh, just a really great show, thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's going to bring us to night two in Sapporo again. We started off with Tohanari defeating Yota Suji, 8-13 via pin in a good hard-hitting opener. Suji continues to impress. Hanar put him away, though. And he's really, he's really stepping up. I like Hanar a lot. I think he has a ton of potential. I'm really interested to see what kind of push he can get in 2020 because, as we all know, this roster is absolutely loaded. Post-match, he stopped by the commentary table, said, and I quote, I'm done with these young boys, I want Shingo. I mean, that's a pretty ballsy request if you want to die, but alright, man, good for you, Hanar. I like you. Uh, we went on to tag team action. Tenzon, Nakanishi, and Tiger Mask defeated Makabe, Hanma, and Niyu Amora in 9.50 via pin. Solid little match. I thought everybody worked hard. The crowd was into it. Um... Again, this is the continuation of Nakanishi's retirement tour, which uh, finishes up at the end of February. And um, yeah, it's just that the crowd was into it. You had enough names in there. Uemura is great on all of his uh, near falls and flash pin attempts. Gets the crowd into things. He had to face off with his grumpy dad, Tiger Mask. And Tiger Mask had to put him down. Young little bastard tried to get over on him. Uh, speaking of young lions, we had uh, El Fantasmo versus Gabriel Kidd. Gabriel Kidd from the UK, new um, young lion in the system, has been working with the LA Dojo. It was a kind of established guy before kind of giving everything up and coming to the dojo, wanting to get into New Japan. Had previously faced off with Fantasmo about two years ago, so a smart match to book. Fantasmo won it nine minutes via pin. I thought it was a good match. It was nothing special. It's under 10 minutes. It's a young line match. You know what you're going to get. It's quality. I thought Kid showed a lot of potential here. I thought getting to work with a familiar opponent was a very smart plan. And we'll see how much he gets going forward. But uh, they're starting to replenish the young line ranks. And you have to also remember we have Ren Narita. And we have Shota Umino. And we have Hikaleu. And the Great Okarn. All on excursion. Plus all the other LA Dojo lads. Um, you know, the Young Lions dojos are stacked right now. We headed off to Tag Team Trios action, which saw Hiroki Goto, Big Tom Ishii, and Robbie Eagles defeating the never-open-weight Tag Team Champions of Shingo Evil and Bushi at 9.45 via pin. Um, this was a non-title match to set up their title match on Thursday, so the challengers pick up a big win here. They look like a threat. You had the natural pairings of Goto and Shingo, Ishii and Evil, and Eagles and Bushi, all playing off the uh, previous night. They had a very good, close-to-great match. I really enjoyed it. And again, I think another important thing to look at here is Robbie Eagles picked up another win by submission, beating Bushi. 
And again, that is keeping him strong and solidifying him for a future junior title shot because he has that win over Hiromu. So that is a, a very good booking decision. I like them picking up the win here. It'll be interesting to see if they maybe win the titles on Thursday because they may want to distance Shingo from that since they're kind of the geek titles. And honestly, uh, Goto, Ishii, and Eagles could use something to do. They're a really fun trio. I don't really care either way because I like both teams and they both have really good matches all the time. But I'm going to be interested to see what they decide to do on Thursday. I wouldn't be shocked at a title switch. Commentary then announced that the Gorillas of Destiny won the tag titles at the new beginning in Atlanta show, which happened the, happened the previous night in the U.S. And this led to tag team action again. John Moxley, Sho, Yo, and Taguchi facing off and defeating Minoru Suzuki, Desperado, Kanemaru, and Daoki. 13-30 via pin. Again, more build for Rapongi 3K versus Despi and Kanemaru, as well as Suzuki and Moxley the next night. And let me tell you, judging by these interactions, Moxley and Suzuki is going to fucking roll. This match was pretty much them wildly brawling all the time. Looking like they're going to kill each other. Moxley firing up, firing back. Suzuki laughing like a maniacal, insane man. Just not giving a shit. And it was all played so, so well. I really love their interactions. I cannot wait for their match. At the end of the day, poor Dalki got submitted by the ankle lock by Taguchi. My man cannot buy a win. He was winless on the uh, Fantastica Mania Tours. It's a rough time if you're Dalki. And uh, Moxley and Suzuki kept brawling post-match. I-, I cannot explain to you how much I am looking for this match. It's like, when Moxley left WWE, I thought that might be a cool match, him and Suzuki. And then he did the G1 and had a great G1. I'm like, you know, I, I want to see Moxley and Suzuki. That'd probably be really good. And then they did the angles at um, Wrestle Kingdom and New Year's Dash. And then they did this shit. And this is transitioned into put this shit into my veins as soon as possible. I absolutely cannot wait for this match. And I'm going to get a drink right now. <clears throat> and I'm going to cough. Anyway, I, I cannot wait for this match. I think, I mean, it's probably going to be great. It may even be better than great. It's going to be two guys kicking the shit out of each other. Suzuki's working his ass off with Moxley, and there's been a lot of talk about how Suzuki doesn't take a ton of bumps these days. Rumored to have some back issues. But, I mean, he's been taking a ton of back bumps, backbreaker suplexes and shit from Moxley. He is in this feud. My man is ready to fucking work. So, uh, this tag was really good. It was wild. I absolutely loved it. Moxley and Suzuki, again, amazing. They announced some future dates and a Hokkaido tour for July, uh, including two more shows in Sapporo. A total of seven dates. Um, New Japan hasn't toured the area as a whole in a while. And basically what they're trying to do with these shows is to turn a negative of having to move the G1 into a positive by hopefully branching out and making good in a market they haven't hit a lot. The, uh, the Hokkaido crowds are kind of notorious because they don't always get into a lot of things. I know a lot of people were not thrilled with them on some of the night one matches. They were a little better on night two, I felt, at times. But it'll, it'll be interesting. They popped big for the announcement of the tour, though. 
And hopefully it goes well. It'll be interesting to see how they sell uh, ticket-wise for that. Trio's tag team action saw Naito Sonata and Hiromu defeat Kenta J. White and Taiji Ishimori 15-30 via submission when Ishimori fell to Sonata's skull end. Um, it was good. It served as more build for Jay and Sonata as well as Naito and uh, Kenta. Closing stretch was really good, but it little flat early on, kind of like the tag match the early night, but this was better overall. Then we got into the business portion of shit, kids. Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship match, which saw Zack Sabre Jr. defeat Will Ospreay and retain at 28 minutes via referee stoppage. I don't know if words are going to convey enough about how much I love this match, but I thought it was absolutely incredible. Not a five-star match, very close, but it was incredible. Um... To me, Zack Sabre Jr. always delivers. Will Ospreay always delivers. And they came together and honestly made some magic here. I thought the execution and pacing was just excellent. They both made each other play into their games at various times throughout the match. Um, Will, as I mentioned before, has showed that he has a lot more to his game than just quote-unquote flips and moves. Um, I thought his selling was exceptionally strong here. He never looked outclassed on the mat with Zach. Zach's control stuff, though, was almost flawless in his execution. It's just, it's clean, it's effortless. And then on top of that, I thought his selling was also great throughout. And um, I just, I'm trying to find great words for this. And I think for lack of a better comparison, this felt like a modernized World of Sports style match match dragged into the present day and infused with that hard-hitting, fire-filled style of a New Japan main event. It's something I think very few could have pulled off to this level. And the finish was great. It was a total throwback to the G1 where Zach um, continued to be Will's kryptonite, caught him in the Cobra Twist, drug him to the mat, and uh, the referee had to stop things. Absolutely incredible stuff. I love this. It honestly should have main evented the show. I don't know why it didn't. Other than LOL Okada, I guess. Which led to the main event, Kazuchika Okada facing off with Tai Chi. Okada defeated Tai Chi 30-48 via pin. Commentary was doing their very best, and the layout was doing its best to sell Tai Chi as Okada's equal here. And while I can greatly appreciate that, it really felt like a forced narrative as it played into the Okada formula of going too long when you don't have to in an effort to portray an epic. I like Okada a lot. I think he's great. I don't rag on him as much as other people, but I would love to see like a random out-of-the-box 15-minute Okada match because we've seen them before in the G1 against Jay White originally at Wrestle Kingdom. He can have great fucking matches in a shorter time frame. Not every main event has to be 30 minutes, and that goes for every fucking promotion, just not New Japan. I thought it was very good. The closing straight as an all-caught matches were great to excellent, and while it does help Taichi's credibility going this long, I honestly think it would have been better, shorter, a more intense, fire-filled, hard-hitting match, instead of kind of dragging out to say, you know, give us the epic. Because, in my opinion, I'm sorry, it wasn't an epic. I'm sure some people may get more mileage out of it, enjoy it more than I did. 
I just, I, I think you need to break from the formula every once in a while. And again, that's just, uh, that's a message for all wrestling promotions. Not everything has to be the same. So overall though, night two, uh, I'm going to say New Japan went two for two on the weekend. I thought night two in Sapporo was another great effort. You had the match of the year contender with Will and Zack. A lot of great builds in the future tour matches. The, the Moxley-Suzuki stuff was just a molten brawl. There was nothing bad at all. And in all honesty, I, I don't think if you're New Japan Pro Wrestling, you could have started off your February any better. Because these shows delivered, they were both a little over three hours, but I think they are more than worth your time. And um, I think that there's a lot of stuff to love on these shows. Obviously, you could skip some of the lower card stuff as you want, but you need to make sure you watch Will vs. Zack, Evil and Ishii, Goto and Shingo for sure. And then there's a few of the tags in there that are really good as well, and they delivered. So, again, another pretty great show here. I enjoyed the hell out of the weekend, early mornings aside. What are you going to do? That's the case. Um, these days, I'm asleep anyway, so what the hell's the deal? Because, again, this is like after 5 a.m. and I'm recording for you. So, what are you going to do, right? Um, but, again, a very enjoyable, strong weekend. I, um, I love a lot of what they did. I think that just uh, they're setting the stage well again for some of these other shows. And they're giving us some really good to great to even excellent matches throughout. Um, New Japan is feeling really hard, hot to start off the year. We're, um, again, just uh, some of the match quality is already hitting out of this world levels. And then you got mixed in hot stuff like Moxley and Suzuki. So no complaints about this weekend. Nothing bad. Yes, sure, you could have changed some things. You didn't have to go as long with this main event. And to be honest, you maybe even could have clipped a minute or two off of Will and Zack. Although it never felt long to me, unlike Okada and Taichi, which felt a little long throughout the middle portions. But again, an exceptionally strong weekend. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show as Steve and I hit a ton of topics talking the corporate WWE management woes, the New Japan roadblocks, and the DDT and Noah deal. The news roundup talking beyond Luke Harper possibly to uh, AEW, New Japan possibly back to US TV, and our look back on TNA and talking the No Place Like Home show. So I really enjoyed uh, this week's show. Uh, I hope you guys did as well. And just remember you were listening to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, especially on YouTube. Follow us on social media. Share us on social media. And if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice. An old thumbs up on the YouTube channel. And um, until later this week when Steve and I return Wednesday night, <clears throat> which is probably going to be good since I'm losing my voice, um, we will talk to you then. Have a great week, everybody.